people often ask me like, well, how did you start this or why? I mean, it's one of the most important supplements I remember my mom giving to me and her telling me like, Angie, can't you feel it? Like, it's so amazing. And so if my life is my dream and I was going to dream up what would be like the perfect company that would like make three-year-old Angie's mom happy, it would be like an amino acid company. The supplements that we make and kind of the ethos of what we do was something that I was raised in that was highly important to me, that remained really important to me, that then became this more highly emphasized part of my life. Hi, I'm Angelo Keeley, and you're listening to the Lifestylist Podcast with Luke Story. Welcome back to all the OG listeners and those who are new to the Lifestylist Podcast. Show notes, links, and complete written transcripts for this one are located at lukestory.com slash Angelo. Here are a few things you're going to learn by tuning in to today's episode. Our guest's harrowing near-death LSD experience. The value of PTSD recovery tools like acupuncture, meditation, yoga, and therapy. Why essential amino acids are critical to health and longevity. How consumers can know if the aminos they take are legit. Dissecting the fitness craze of branch-chain amino acids. The role amino acids play in muscle protein synthesis and fat loss. Amino acids' powerful effect on neurotransmitters, mood, and sleep. The benefits of drinking bone broth and gelatin. Why protein synthesis and lean muscle retention are so important, especially as we age. And how women can pack on lean muscle without getting too ripped. And the truth about how much protein we actually need each day. And why so many are confused about this issue. And how ironically eating more protein helps us be less fat. And the incredible benefits of grass-fed whey protein and how to avoid inferior protein powders. Why plant-based protein powders are so brutal on some people's digestion. And the risks of hemp protein heavy metal toxicity. Plus, we learned some marketing trickery in the protein powder market, such as grass-fed and organic labeling. We also talk about what's behind the collagen protein craze the benefits of creatine and why it's not just for gym bros, what you need to know about natural flavors and the supplements you take. And we also find out if mold is really a big issue with coffee and why organic and single origin is so important when choosing your beans. And as we discuss coffee beans, we also talk about the benefits of freshly ground beans versus pre-ground. And finally, you'll learn about my favorite sleep supplement and why it works so well. This, my friends, is episode 440 featuring Angelo Keeley. He's the co-founder and CEO of Keon, a supplement and functional food company dedicated to helping health and fitness enthusiasts like you and me live long, fun, active lives by providing clean, energy-enhancing solutions. And I'll let you know right now, if you're feeling Angelo's vibe in this conversation and you want to explore his company, Keon, you can visit them at lukestory.com slash Keon and you'll get up to 40% off their incredible coffee and supplements. That's lukestory.com slash Kion, K-I-O-N. All right, let's get ready to rumble with Angelo Keeley on the Lifestylist Podcast. Angelo Keeley, what's happening, brother? Here we are. Luke Story, hello. We're doing the damn thing. I'm here. Happy so to be here. you're an OG Austinite. You're from where we are recording, where so many of us Texifornians have migrated to. I, I coined that phrase, by the way. So if you hear it later on in life, this is where it started. I'll say trademark Luke Story. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm from here. Yeah. What was it like growing up here? Um, it was wonderful. It was really nice. It was really hot. I remember I grew up in a house without 
AC, kind of like a funky old house. So I would just like sleep in my underwear underneath the fan, like the ceiling fan with no sheets on. But it was good, man. It was it was uh, smaller. There weren't quite as many people. But literally, my entire life, there were it, people were always saying like, "Oh, Austin's not the same. Everyone's moving here. It's not the same as it used to be." So I feel like that story is forty years old. I think that's true of any mid-sized city. I mean, I guess we're not in a mid-sized city anymore, but any kind of big town or city that kind of catches on or has something unique to offer, I think that's quite common. You know, yeah. oh man, everyone's moving here. It's like, well, do you want an economy or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's because like, life is good. I mean, that's why yeah. people, they're moving from somewhere else where there's less opportunity. Yeah. Don't make yeah. your city cool if you don't want people, you know, yeah. just more crime, you know. Yeah. All, just make it suck and we won't come. That's why everyone fled. Well, not everyone, but everyone I know practically has fled cities like LA and New York. It's just, you just want to live somewhere safe and relatively clean where you can do your thing in peace. Austin's still nice. Even like, you know, I stayed in town last night and then drove out to your place, which supposedly is like, when I was a kid, this was kind of like far away. It's like 30 minute drive. Yeah. So it's like, it's still the traffic still, people complain about the traffic. It's still like nothing. It's such a pleasant place here. It is. Yeah, yeah. The traffic thing is funny when I hear people here complain about it. And I'm sure, you know, com- compared to 20 years ago or something there is, but I always think, have you ever been on the 405 <laughs> at 6 p.m. <laughs> on a Friday? <laughs> like, it takes you an hour to get a mile, you know? So I'm like, yeah. Uh, but I enjoy it out here, you know? Yes. We went on a great hike last time you we were here at the at the green belt near my neighborhood. And I'm just like, this is awesome, man. It's it's a it's a really beautiful place. Yeah, that was a beautiful hike. That's a sweet little yeah. spot. We yeah, we little, went up to the, the water the little, features. And the little bird watching. Oh, yeah, the bird thing. watching, yeah. We had a deep conversation in there about yeah. consciousness and all the things that I like to talk about. All right, so you're back and uh, you live now in uh, Boulder, Colorado. That's correct. Wife, two kids. That's correct. And you're running this company called Keon. That's right. I want to focus on a couple key features of your past as, as I understand them. Great. Uh, that are just wild to me. And I just love talking about wild <laughs> shit on this show. There's a couple items in your story that are just like, I'm I'm writing my notes as I'm researching you going, literally like, what the fuck? This is crazy. So we're going to talk about that. But I think an interesting touch point is that your parents were also, you know, health, I call them health nuts back then because there, there weren't such thing as biohackers. My parents were also health nuts. Um, giving me supplements when I literally I was five years old. My mom was like, take your vitamin E, you know, thank God. Uh, very grateful for that. But your parents, were they in the supplement business and, you know, pescatarian, eating organic, like early adopters of this life? Tell me a little bit yeah. about what your childhood was like in that regard. Yeah, so my dad was actually like an importer of botanicals and ginseng and various different botanicals in the 70s. And then my mom and him had a natural health food store. They bought one out in Wimberley. So I was actually born at home in Wimberley. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then um, a really big natural food store was created that now is like the most powerful one in the world. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, it put a lot of other ones out of business. And my parents opened a natural food restaurant. Ah, to kind okay. of like be able to like also in Wimberley, also in Wimberley. What's Wimberley is like? What forty minutes from here or so? Yeah, probably from here. It's like forty yeah. minutes. It was a great. I mean, well, I, yeah. I I was only there when I was like born. But then my dad actually partnered to do a restaurant with that really big, huge natural food store in Austin. So we moved to Austin to to do that, and then it didn't kind of work out as they had all planned, and they stayed super hardcore health nuts. So I was born at home. I never went to a doctor till I was like seven. 
Wow. I was given lots of supplements as a kid. You're, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Was, do you uh, remember being a kid and getting handed a, a handful of supplements with your dinner every night and like having a hard time taking them all? I remember no, that. I, I used to hide mine under the rug. And we lived with my grandmother when uh-huh. my parents got divorced. And my mom would walk out of the room and I would like literally, you know, sweep them under the rug. And then she'd come back in and think that I had taken them. And then we moved out of there. We moved the rug and there was just like this, you <laughs> know, of sea of just vitamins. rotten, hidden vitamins. Yeah, sorry, mom. I probably wasted a lot of money there. but I didn't. I liked it. Really? Yeah. It's funny though. Now I think about it. My kids, my son is super into it. Like every night he wants to take him. And my daughter's like more into it. But I think I just had this, like I believed him. Yeah. I believed my parents and I thought, I thought it was good for me. And they, they had me pretty sold on it. I Did think. their physical health you know, exemplify the benefits? I mean, they were were pretty, I would say like when I was much, when I, like my early childhood, they were both pretty vibrantly healthy. I would say like in elementary school and more towards middle school, I would say like their commitment to their own health was not quite as dedicated. And I think more due to just like mental health and relationship struggles and that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. so they weren't quite as vibrant at that time. My dad also like had a really traumatic, he had a friend pass away. And I think when that happened, he wasn't quite as vibrant afterwards. I don't know. It's kind of hard to remember and piece it all together. But early childhood, very vibrant. Going to uh, the gym, working out, swimming, going to Barton Springs a lot. Lots of outdoor activities, lots of fitness, lots of super clean, healthy eating. You know, like… Wow, you're fortunate. Yeah, it was a cool… It was a great life. And I grew up… not really close to here. I grew up off bee caves and oh, okay. like a couple acres and really close to the creek. And uh, I didn't go to school for a while. And wow, so, you scored. Yeah, so I just like home stayed birth, home. <laughs> natural foods. Yeah, no walked, school. Let's... Yeah, I walked around barefoot and we lived near the creek. So I would just walk barefoot down to the creek. And wow. it, was, it was a cool, good life. It was- That's it was, awesome. Yeah, it was very um, whole. Yeah. You know, I think people are always thinking for like whole foods and whole, you know, holistic life. It felt very uh, integrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's fast forward a bit to your teen years. So your parents get divorced, right? You're mm-hmm. in your, what, 14-ish or something? Yeah, 14, my parents okay. start getting divorced. And you start to rebel from what seems like, you know, is a close relationship with your parents. And I'm just going to tell a version of your story. because I Go for it. I really study up on my guest. Um because, you know, I don't want to fly blind. But the part of your story where you start to get in a bit of trouble, you know, you're getting brush-ins with the police and things like that. You start experimenting with drugs. The part that I want to get to is the day or night mm. when you essentially overdose on LSD and things go terribly south. Is that, that story to me is when I heard that. I was just like, <laughs> how do you even come back from that? So lead us into that story as a, as a word of warning too for people i talk about plant medicines on the show and you know i always i think give an air of caution and encourage discernment and you know responsibility but um that said you know many of us have had these kind of experiences but not to the degree that you have yeah i mean that that was a good intro to what i think happened you know i think when things when i started to get into trouble in high school I wouldn't say that it was suddenly something new happened, like me getting into trouble. I think that um, as a child, well, both my parents remained entrepreneurs. 
and I would say remained very, they're probably two of like the most bold, eccentric people I've ever met. So I just grew up in an environment with like various eccentric folks, very committed to very distinct ideas. And one had to like develop their own self within that context. Like we weren't, uh, we, it was a very good family and I'm very grateful for it, but I wasn't like super coddled or supported to kind of, um, make my own identity. It was like, you got to figure out your identity to be able to like make it in this family. Cause we are all a lot of intense people. And so I think always throughout school, I felt kind of at odds in that I was from this environment that was like pretty alt and hippie and very intense and eccentric. And I was growing up with kind of like normal kids in the suburbs, but I had like this really weird old funky hand-built house. Like literally our rooms, uh, it, the, the house was built room by room. So they built the first room on a dirt floor <laughs> and they built the next room next to it and they built the rooms on top of it. So the whole house was additions? The whole house was additions. <laughs> right. So like talk about like a weird psychological metaphor for my, for my childhood yeah. maybe. But um, yeah, so I just grew up in that environment. So then when I was in school, I always had kind of an odd relationship with like authority and structure. And I wanted to be approved of. I wanted to do well. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to try to be the smartest and, and like be good. So I avoided getting in trouble, but I would always figure out little like weird hacks to kind of, um, I don't know, either like critique the system or get through it or like make it my own. And I think by the time I got to high school, uh, my parents did get divorced, started getting divorced at 14. And I'm beginning this phase of adolescence, which, you know, as brain development really changes in 12 to 26, that may be my biggest caution is just people 12 to 26 and how they think about drug use. Because your brain is very distinctly different 12 to 26 than it is before that or it is after that. And it's going through a lot of changes. And I think that those changes encourage people to take a lot more risk. They encourage them to push even kind of farther away from their natural um, parental community. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, biologically, it's important. You need to like get out and do something yeah. new and make your own. And I'm already preloaded with like ex eccentricity, more manic, entrepreneurial, and I'm kind of at that age where it's like, okay, make my own. And then my parental structure kind of like is dissipating. Mm -hmm. So I'm, there's not mm -hmm. many like threads there. Yeah. Um, and in that context, yeah, I started doing drugs a lot more. I was getting kicked out of, you know, I got kicked out of high school, um, got arrested a couple of times. And then when I was 16, not my first time, I took LSD. I took way too much LSD with a friend. And, um, how much is too much in this you know, case? I don't know exactly because I took like a hit or two at first. Yeah. And then he was like, do you want some more? And he had the dropper and he just kind of dropped a bunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, brutal. Yeah. Uh, do not try this at home, kids, Do not try this at home. As you're about to learn, especially. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I think with language I have now, I had, what you know, like a psychotic break type yeah. of experience where I, it just felt like everything was melting. And the level of kind of existential angst, confusion about what I was, what was happening, you know, I just felt like I was melting and dying. And I panicked and I was looking for help. And I was in a part of Austin that was not, not like really dangerous or criminal, but not uh, probably as safe as where I'd grown, grown up. And I was looking for help and I accidentally provoked a fight with other people in this apartment complex. And they uh, stabbed. Were these like homies of? They were not homies. Oh, they were okay. just like other young people living they were in just, the apartment okay, complex. Got it, got it. Um, I mean, clearly like more hard than I was because they, they stabbed me twice in the back. 
and in the patella tendon, severed my patella tendon, and then just beat me like really badly. So I, I woke up in a like a drainage. Well, I didn't wake up. The ambulances like found me in a drainage ditch like two stories down. So I don't. I still don't know exactly how I got there, but um, very severely beaten and stabbed. I was rushed to the hospital, and I had to have emergency abdominal surgery. So I have a huge scar here. My spleen was barely nicked, um, and otherwise they reattached my patella tendon, and I just was like really. I mean, as lucky as you could possibly get in that situation in terms of survival. Were, were, was there any effort on behalf of law enforcement to find out who had uh, done they this? They were aware who did it because I had provoked it in this drug-induced state and you're in Texas. Like, they were not in any trouble. I was originally <laughs> accused of being the troublemaker. <laughs> oh, my God. They're like, yeah. and we're charging you with possession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Schedule one or whatever. Oh, God. So I, did, I didn't have charges like that, but uh, not to get into all the details of that. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, I woke up a few days later in the hospital. I couldn't, like, move. Clearly, my parents were, like, terrified. I was 16, 16 and a half. And, um, I, you know, I think that really began the, I mean, that began adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, a, talk it was about like, a rite yeah, of passage. Yeah, it was like a hard shift to, um, you know, like, I, I will make, I'm responsible for my choices. Even if I feel like I got in this thing where it's, you know, uh, this thing just kind of unfolded in front of me and unraveled and I lost control of it. Like I, I made certain decisions to kind of, to get to those next steps and those next, next stages, no matter how maybe um, immature I was, even if my brain was like not fully, it was in this weird developmental stage. I had hormones for whatever reasons I did make decisions and then it kind of unraveled in this, in this way. And I think I started to see that I had the opportunity to choose my life. I had the opportunity to create my life. And I had a lot of trauma and a lot of pain, a lot of physical trauma, you know, just really intense psychological oh, I know, mean, kind of torment that dude, was going on and flashbacks. And I, I can't imagine. I mean, you're in, in that kind of space. You're vulnerable on such a deeper level, mm. right? I mean, I just think about times in my um, youth, which unfortunately most of my drug use was between 12 and 26, exactly. <laughs> Good thinking there. Uh, you know, anyway, is what it is. Well, I don't think it's uncommon that that's what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're looking for, yeah, you're, you know. Everything's changing. A solution, yeah. yeah. But just thinking back to times where uh, where I would take uh, acid and, and not be thoughtful, you know, obviously about it and have no plan and just end up around kind of dark energy, people, things would go wrong, you get stranded somewhere, there'd be a conflict of some kind. I mean, anything outside of like total love and safety when you're that vulnerable is traumatic mm. based on my experience. Just things going wonky with mm -hmm. how you're going to get home or whatever is like Awkward. super yeah, yeah, it's just super freaky. Yeah. Right, any kind of bad energy mm -hmm. or anger, conflict. I mean, so when I heard you tell that story on another podcast, I'm just like, I literally can't imagine because going through that in and of itself, something that you know, emotionally, physically, psychologically traumatic is one thing. But when you are in that state, and as you said, the whole world is melting and everything is so unreal. Anyway, it's just it's unfathomable. And um, congratulations also on making it back from that. Right? I mean. Thanks. I think that kind of experience could really send someone on a permanent trajectory to a bad place, you know, irretrievable 
mental, uh, you know, state. It's just insane. Yeah. I mean, I've had friends at that age that, uh, experimented with intense drugs and they did never come back. They lost their mind. Yeah. And so I, I feel very, uh, I don't, lucky is only the way I know how to call it because I didn't, uh, I didn't plan out all my steps or figure out exactly how to get back. I just started, you know, trying. So it sounds like, it sounds like that this, there was a process of transmutation from that experience that started to unfold thereafter, right? Where you're starting to take a look at your life as, as a young person and take responsibility for your decisions. And, you know, did that lead you into uh, the path of, you know, meditation and exploring yoga and acupuncture and the things that, that we've talked about that I know yeah. you've had experience with. I mean, was that in a sense, um, turned into a positive experience for lack, you know, I think it did. Grossly speaking, yeah. I mean, it's, it's never positive. Everything's kind of neutral, right? Until you do something with it and create meaning around it. But it sounds like after getting to know you a little bit that you took the ball and ran with that as like, oh no, I'm not doing life this way. What, what was your kind of process there? And turning it around. Yeah, I've had friends joke about like wanting a near-death experience. Not, not about my story, but about, yeah. you know, in general, if you kind of can get woken up to like, whoa, like get kind of, yeah, just woken up from the mundaneness of life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say there's a couple ways to look at it. One is as a child, kind of progressing along and having all these experiences and expanding my experience, you know, I certainly had some elements of things that were like, negative and challenging in childhood that maybe created some more experience kind of on the negative side of like an absolute value scale. But having that kind of experience just boom, just like expanded my perspective of what life was and what pain was and what um, being lost meant and what melting meant. You know, like the, the, the level of the, uh, of the struggle provided all this new perspective and context. And I think that has probably been that has changed the whole future of my life. I mean, the future of my life since then in terms of just trying to seek out uh, and integrate more perspective, not being afraid of what's dark, not being afraid of what's painful. Um, naturally, I have fear of things, but like really trying to lean into them and understand them and integrate them and bring them into my life um, so that I can just have the richest, fullest life possible. And at that time, I mean, I think the things I really got exposed to were therapy. I got exposed to talk therapy, which um, I think for that kind of trauma is helpful. It helps to take kind of uncontrollable or overstimulating sensations and imagery and sounds and put them into words that kind of creates a sense of like ownership and power and integration with it. So finding words to describe what you're feeling, what I was feeling help me to integrate it more into my being and into my thoughts. You know, it's funny what comes to mind is had you had a very thoughtful and intentional experience with LSD, uh-huh. not that many kids at 16 are doing that, but yeah. let's say you did, you, you also wouldn't have benefited without a process of integration, maybe even in a similar way. I think that that's a very good <laughs> right? point. I think that's a very good point. As I know from personal experience, um, there were many early you know, psychedelic trips like that. And some of them went kind of south. I mean, not that south. That's as far south as you can go, I think, and still live to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. But even the positive ones where it was a good time, and it was just like, move on. You forget about, oh, that was fun. You know, I went to a dead show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just lost our shit. 
but there was never really any grist for the mill that could be, you know, harvested and and integrated because you you're sort of disintegrating, right? You're becoming unwhole and disparate parts of yourself are kind of firing off and you're, you're coming apart, right? A disillusion of the ego and your intellect and the way you see yourself in the world. And if there's not a period of kind of going, okay, what does that all mean? And how do we put ourselves back together? You kind of stay f- frayed. Totally. Or even if you're not frayed, but you maybe have this one kind of very illuminating experience, it doesn't become integrated into like how you interact with your friends, how you show up in your your creative work, how you show up with like your family. Um, and I think, I mean, that's what's most interesting to me, I think is like yeah. how, how I end up being with people, how I end up being with people and how I end up being with my, with my creativity and my work. If I just have this like really cool, mind-blowing thing and then it doesn't actually impact the rest of my life, well, then it's, it's, it's almost like maybe like the heart of some addiction, right? Where you keep trying to go back to this mind-blowing thing versus having experiences of any sort. They don't have to be drug-induced that help change who you are and provide more perspective. And then you integrate them and you like become, your life becomes more interesting and fulfilling and, and uh, there's more potential to, to express itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's everything. We just did a show up here in the, going to call the studio the loft. I like the loft. <laughs> as long as it's, good. it's cool. I mean, good, you know, yeah. it's a little hard on the wife having all this activity around here, but it is what it is for now. But we had a show with uh, my friends, Ta and Cole the other day who are, you know, former facilitators and help um, train integration coaches mm. um, and therapists and just different people that are kind of psychedelic informed, as they call it. It's not necessarily people who are doing the facilitating, but just people who help someone integrate not only psychedelic experiences, but just any profound moment in your life where you have the uh, the raw materials to, for change, right? Mm-hmm. It could be a vision quest or a divorce or whatever, right? It's like when there's a huge pattern interrupt in one's life, Within that, there's the gold, right? Totally. If if you have help and know how to find it, and or if you've become astute in finding it yourself and being able to extract a lasting change, I think that's super important. I mean, it's not only important; it's non-negotiable. I mean, it's like yeah. I mean, I think what else are you going to do with the yeah. profound experience of any nature, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, cool, that was interesting. Move on, go back to the way we were, and just back into the same you know patterns uh, that we had before that. Yeah, it's like it's like it's just wastage, I guess. In that case, you're kind of yeah. wasting the the opportunity. So I think talk therapy helped a lot, but yeah. I think also acupuncture helped a lot on like a nervous system level. There's pretty serious like nervous system overload from yeah. LSD itself, and then combined with that type of um, physical violence. And um, and I got really into cold therapy and hot therapy. And, you know, I'd say this is kind of the transition where I went from like being raised in a family where you don't even like, you know what your values are, but they're just kind of like tell you what they are and you just go along with it to where suddenly I would say my health journey really became my health journey. Like I was seeking out the answers. I was researching things about nutrition. I was looking into what type of exercise made sense for me or why I might want to do yoga, you know, participating in acupuncture. And it really became, yeah, like my journey. It wasn't, it wasn't just my parents' kid anymore doing these things that I just believed because that was the only thing I was taught. Yeah. And I would say, you know, that's, that's really, um, that kicked off, I mean, the rest of my kind of personal development and, health journey, but it was pretty intense for those, those first 
five years. And then I, I moved out. I think through that, I was inspired to start taking care of myself. So I moved out on my 17th birthday, became emancipated. So my last year and a half of high school, I lived on my own. I started supporting myself. I actually started coming out to this neighborhood to do painting work. I was like a house painter. Oh, I wish I would have known you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we painted this house yeah. three times, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was, I mean, in that way, it was a gift. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a gift that's, that, that keeps giving. I keep, you know, mining it for more meaning. Yeah. And, uh, um, it begs the question, uh, after having such a traumatic experience, involving psychedelics after that at any point did you find any interest in exploring that realm again and from a different perspective more intentionally and if so did you derive benefit from it what's your you know stance on it now as a, as a dad who's running a company and in a totally different place in your life i know um your partner ben greenfield you know was pretty vocal about his um you know plant medicine and psychedelic use and things like that. And then recently did a really hard pivot and was like, no, you know, it's dangerous. Don't do it. Or I'm not going to do it or whatever his, you know, his perspective was. And I respected that, you know, that he publicly was like, Hey, I think I was wrong about this. I, I don't want to promote this lifestyle anymore. And I thought, good man, good for you. Um, you know, but what, what's your personal take on it? If you feel comfortable speaking to that? Yeah, I'm comfortable. I mean, first of all, I love Ben. He's like my brother. And I think, um, I really understand his journey. I think I understand his journey and his perspective from, from it. And I, and I really respect him for him continuing to try to do his best. I really believe Ben's always trying to do his best. And uh, so I love him. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of like my experience, I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, you know, I... I don't really look at the world and think, oh, these things are good or bad. I think I do, I do see things more in, um, in context. And I see things in terms of a lot of human beings walking their path and trying to like figure things out. And so I'm not really one to weigh in to say like, don't do psychedelics or do do psychedelics or do or don't do drugs. That's just like not how I show up in the world because... I don't know. I don't know what is necessarily going to be right for each person at each stage of their life. For me, it did make sense to try psychedelics again after that. And I went through different trial periods of it. You know, I think um, I was definitely very cautious and scared. I bet. Yeah, oh my I was God. very cautious and scared. And, um, and I think from them, I, from that experience, I gained a a, what's the right word? A thoughtful um, caution. You know, it's like respecting your elders or something. Yeah, kind of I know, you know exactly. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, whoa, yeah. I really have, you know, um, not this invincible, I can kind of, you know, figure everything out. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm all powerful. You know, it just, it really it put me in my place, I would just say, you know, yeah. that way. And so I think, um, yeah, I mean, that happened when I was 16. I went through different experiences of trying it again after that um, and trying it in more social situations with friends where it's kind of more of like a bonding type thing. I wouldn't say it wasn't, it was never like, I want to blow my mind kind of thing. It was more like some type of social bonding type thing. And I'd say over time, it developed more into something that was a much 
lower dose and really supportive of like a meditative process. Mm-hmm. So being alone, meditating, maybe doing some type of body work and even doing kind of somatic work that I feel like is tied to some of the trauma that I've experienced in my life. Um, like in my soul, like I have like stress and stuff like in my psoas, like where I was stabbed. Well, I was stabbed and it ties all these muscles that come into my psoas and then go down through my leg. So like kind of doing self self-massage and mobility work, um, just silent meditation and really more as like a, yeah, like, like a, a, a support for that type of process is how it, it, it became to make more sense for me if and when I would do it. I don't currently do it. And that's not because I think that it's bad or not right or anything. It's just, I don't feel called to. Yeah, and I think uh, that's a really a really important um, piece of self awareness. You know, I think a lot of people <laughs> just get caught up in in the uh, excitement of it, and you know, you can have experiences that are so transformative <laughs> that I mean, I've had to not had to, but it's come naturally to me. I think to kind of pump the brakes and just recalibrate and integrate and things like that. But after a profound experience, when I'm kind of still unraveling it or even in it because there can be so much magic that transpires and such a visceral experience of God that there's like a attachment to that, right? Like I got to be doing this all the time. (laughs) I should be connected in this way all the time. But I kind of think if we were meant to be that way, then we would just have DMT flowing through our veins all the time in a, you know, in a quantifiable sense. And we would all just be living in medicine land, but we're not really here for that, you know? But I think that's a really important um, piece is that inner knowing when it's time and when it's not. And knowing when it's a call and when it's just a novelty or a curiosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my own journey. You know? Yeah. Like you, I don't, I have, don't care what people do with their lives. Yeah. You know, don't hurt other people and we're good. That's that's my criteria. But um, And even as like a novelty or a curiosity, I don't I don't have it. I think that's okay too. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I think it's just I I get yeah. um yeah, there's all kinds of reasons why people do things. And at this point in my life, I I think I still participate in practices that provoke insight in ways that in some ways are even more insightful and in some ways even more uncomfortable than things like that. You know, I've been participating in three times a week psychoanalysis for a while now. And psychoanalysis, basically you sit on a couch, your eyes are closed and you're just dreaming, like with just talking out your dreams. And, and I keep a dream journal and write down my dreams. I really try to provoke my, my dreams to come out and to like explore them. And then like my life, kind of becomes my dream. Like my life, I say this thing, my life is my dream is my life is my dream is the kind of meld together my dream life and my like waking life. And uh, it's pretty trippy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's stimulating. It brings up all kinds of, you know, little, when, I, when I'm open to that level of like subtlety and nuance and what I'm feeling, then I start to feel more things, you know, with people and work situations and my family. I can be more aware of like really specific insecurities or fears. And so, I mean, it's, it's still, it's trippy. So my life is still pretty trippy. It, it makes sense, <laughs> right? Because there, there are so many doorways into the subconscious. 
Back in the 90s, my friends used to call me a health nut. You know, drinking smoothies, taking vitamins, doing saunas, colonics, and all the old school health practices. Well, my commitment to health has never wavered since. And lucky for me, the innovation over the past two decades has been incredible. We just live in an unprecedented time of opportunity when it comes to taking your wellness into your own hands. And one of my non-negotiables is getting a daily dose of red light. There are dozens of clinically proven benefits from red light therapy, and I've experienced many of them myself. Most importantly, I'd say cellular vitality and energy, which is why I'm so committed to my daily Juve red light sessions. Aside from the obvious benefits, I've been recommending Juve for years because the quality of their devices are simply the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options that gives me the flexibility to use them how I see fit. Now, I personally dig the full body modular system myself because I can blast myself with powerful red light all over my body very quickly. But Juve also makes many sizes like their handheld device. It's called the Juve Go. That's really great for targeting specific areas of your body like hurting joints or sore muscles. But no matter what Juve device you use, the benefits are definitely there. To get in on this red light magic, hit up juve.com slash Luke. And heads up, right now they're offering all of my listeners an exclusive discount on their first order. Again, that's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Luke. And use the code Luke at checkout for your qualifying order. Some exclusions, however, do apply. just thinking about meditation today i laid there under this thing it's called the lucia light it's this hypnagogic i love that, oh, you've I done love it? that yeah. light yeah. yeah i did it at paleo effects a few years oh, ago you know actually the, like, the woman who was on the show um uh oh my god how embarrassing if i forget her name i totally know her we're like friends anyway it'll come to me uh she lives in boulder i i i wondered that because yeah. i know there's like a lucia light not a clinic, but someone who runs programming there. I was yeah. wondering, yeah. Yeah. I should reach her out to her. Her name's Allison. Allison, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> Spelled differently than my wife, Allison. Yeah. Allison uh, Policier is her name. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm happy to introduce you. But yeah, last I was with her, she was based in uh, Boulder. But anyway, this morning, you know, I got up and did what I normally don't do, which is like not meditate. I did other self-care things mm-hmm. and just got my day started. And then I realized when you were coming here to record, I was like, ah, I feel a little scattered. Like I need to just go defrag the head. And so I laid under that light and with a new calm uh, journey on. And it was, I'm like in a totally new world 20 minutes later. And I think it's because I just allowed myself to go into the subconscious and just, just open my awareness to just change my perspective, you know, to get kind of just less, just out of this. Like camp. latched on to yeah, this just, one little thing. And yeah, I just, feel like that's the main thing. That's yeah. oftentimes what people are looking for in psychedelics. They see that they're all latched on to the way something has to be or some pattern and they want to like blow it open or break it open. And sometimes it's as yeah. simple as like, just yeah. meditate. Yeah, especially <laughs> or, if the light makes you feel like you're on LSD. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that helps. You know, I do, I do like the Shakti mat. Like, oh, you know, I don't the know acupressure. That. It's like you let that's oh, like a okay, bed of yeah. needles thing. Yeah, yeah. Like laying on the bed of needles. And it really it like, you know, I mean, I like I like just normal meditation as well, but it, yeah. it kind of like disrupts my whole because I have to really relax. I have, I have to release. Dude, over there I have this these foot bed of nails. Uh-huh. I wish I knew what they were called, so I could give them a shout out. We'll put them in the show notes anyway. I just forget the name, but they're really beautiful. And it's these copper nails and you stand on it. It's wild, but kind of like that, yeah. you know, it's just meridians and just activating the energy and just kind of, you know, getting into a different state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I want to, 
I want to talk about forming your company, and I want to talk. I really want to talk about amino acids. It's a very long way around (laughs) getting because it's such an important thing, and we haven't covered it on the show. Like I don't think I've ever talked about essential amino acids, so we're going to do that. But there's one more story that I just have to get out of you because this was another one where I was like, oh my god, I just can't imagine. So you end up in India. Mm -hmm. You're what up in the Himalayas? Yeah, way high up. Well, I'm like in the foothills. In the foothills, I'm studying yoga in Rishikesh. In Rishikesh. Like this little famous yogi town yes. on the Ganges. Uh, and you have another traumatic experience. Take us into that if, if you're willing. I'm <laughs> yeah. assuming you've meditated your way through you know, a somatic reaction to it. But that was yeah. another story. I'm just like, how do you come back from that? Yeah, so uh, I'm 21. And as part of this you know, kind of self-improvement, spiritual path, health journey that I've been on, um, I end up studying religion in college and health. And dance and just like tons. I mean, I'm, I'm like maxing out at like 21 hours a semester. I'm just kind of obsessed with learning. And, uh, and I, I've gotten really into yoga by this time. And so I went to India for two months. One month was to volunteer at an orphanage in the South. And another month was to do this kind of advanced yoga training in, in Rishikesh. And um, this is my first time. I've been to like Mexico alone by myself, I think like a year before. But 21, like pretty much, this is my first like, Asian tour, you know, um, and I'm alone staying in this, in this ashram and I meet a friend, I meet this guy and he's a really nice guy. And he's like, you should come visit me in my village or whatever. And, um, I'm just kind of taking up any opportunity, you know, to, to do things, try things. So I get on this bus to go visit him in his village, which is about 45 minutes. No, maybe two hours from Rishikesh. And anyone who's been to India um, is kind of familiar, I assume, with the fact that people come into oncoming traffic. When you're driving, there aren't like really, there's lanes kind of, but you, you constantly are pulling into oncoming traffic and swerving back out. It's madness. It's madness. Yeah. Um, which I then later <laughs> lived in India and I actually drove the whole time. <laughs> oh so I, that, that's the really impressive the thing. Of- After you hear this story, you're like, whoa, you chose to like live there and drive yeah. there. But yeah. Um, so I'm up in the, I'm up in the foothills. And, you know, you're going all these switchbacks uh, on the mountain. And, uh, and my bus is on the, the mountain side, not on the outside side of, of the cliff. Uh, we're, up, we're driving on the left side of the road up there. And it's just one of those moments where my bus and other bus come around a corner at the same time. And the back of my bus hits the back of their bus. And I still remember I like looked out and could see like I'd make, I'd make eye contact. And then their bus just fell off the cliff. And it just, it tumbled hundreds of, of meters. And, you know, we stopped and we got out. And I mean, I, I think everyone just had the sense of powerlessness, not knowing what to do. I mean, because it's like a cliff, you know, what do you, is there anything to do at all? And, um, and after a while, and I don't really know, I mean, I can't speak the language, so I don't really know, you know, how to, <laughs> I can't. I just don't yeah, know what alone, to do. Like, which language are they speaking yeah, in that totally, particular region? It's totally, not like, yeah. oh, I know Hindu. Well, good yeah, luck. You yeah. know? What province are you in? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and after, but after a few minutes, a couple of young guys are like, let's go down. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go down. So spend basically the rest of that day, you know, climbing down this cliff to try to rescue people. And um, 26 people died. Um, the people were basically just like kind of strewn, strewn down the cliff they'd been thrown from it and um you know i got down there and there were just like kids my age um i mean it was a mixed age but there was this one guy who was like my age maybe a little bit younger who was unconscious and 
uh, and I didn't really know that much about. I mean, I knew some about their religious beliefs, et cetera, but not like that much. So I just started like chanting a name of God that I assume was his God for being in that region to him. And, um, and then tried to build like a, uh, basically like a, I'm forgetting what it's called, like a brace, a splint type thing out of the luggage to carry him up on. And we put him on that and just spent, you know, I don't know, next couple of hours trying to get him up the cliff. And then when I was done with that, I went back down and um, there was still one guy who was like trapped inside the bus. And so uh, just ripped the bus apart until, you know, until we got, could get the guy out. And um, I, mean, I was just in shock, you know. I mean, I was just, I was just, it was interesting. It was not the kind of thing where I felt panic or felt scared. I feel like it went into like worker mode, you know, like I can, how can I help? What can I do? And, um, you know, after a day of that, I had to hitchhike back, back to the ashram and went back there and called my dad, told him what happened. And then I went back to my room and I didn't know anything about trauma, like biology at this point in time. But I, I laid down on my, uh, on my little hard bed thing and um, I had like a CD of like John Coltrane, kind uh, Blue Train. And I put that on and I just shook violently. I was just like shaking violently. And I didn't know like, am I making this up or what's going on? I didn't know like, you know, later on in my life, I learned like that is what animals do naturally and health- in a healthy way to release trauma. And I just shook, you know, for a long time. And um, I made my trip shorter. I came back to the US. I was supposed to go to Jordan for a year after that, but I came back to the US. And, uh, you know, and I think going back to the stabbing experience, having the experience of navigating pain and darkness and trauma somehow intuitively maybe even taught me that I should shake it out because I didn't really know that. Um, or I don't know, maybe it's, I had less barriers up or I was more in touch with myself because I've been doing yoga five hours a day for a month. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I feel like that, I, I, didn't, I didn't observe at that point in my life that I needed to like really work on this, you know? I kind of thought I'd kind of worked it out. But I actually think the next few years of my life, when I got back, I shifted from as much of like trying to be this like, be this better person, whether that was through health or through service or through educating myself to wanting to be successful. And it's interesting, I took this like bent on my own trying to be successful. And that kind of lasted with me for a few years. Um, And I think I ultimately worked through through it. I mean, I still want to be successful and to be validated and people to like me and, you know, um, to win and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I, I think I got distracted for a few years. I think for kind of maybe four or five years, I was really trying to not work on myself. Somehow it became obvious. Somehow like the success journey became this more important thing to me. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. Yeah. Wow, dude. How, do you know how many people survived that crash? Uh, five. Oh my god! Yeah, the vast majority of people. It was pretty gnarly. Like it. Yeah, and so because I was like the one white guy, and because I saved multiple people, like I was on the cover of the newspaper the next day, <laughs> oh, and man. like on the inside. So I still have like the newspaper of it, and wow. it's pretty gnarly. I mean, the bus is. Uh, anyone who's seen a you know major wreck like that, it's like it just gets ripped apart and crumpled into like a little ball of metal by the end. Oh my god. Yeah, I just watched the uh, the feature drama about the uh, kids in the cave in Thailand mm. a couple nights mm. ago. I think it's called Thirteen Lives. 
recommended by a friend. And I didn't really know anything about that, but the level of heroic action that the rescuers took was so inspiring. You know, I'm kind of reflecting back on your experience and I've never been in a situation like that where they're, you know, people dying and I'm saving people, but I have had a couple experiences where something kicked in and there was just an innate ability to intervene and just help, right? There's, it's a really interesting human phenomenon we have that sometimes you have resources that you don't know you had until that moment arrives and you're like, holy shit, I'm doing this, you know? That's an extreme example of that. So It you, feels good. It's amazing how, I think that's maybe the weirdest thing that, feel, that feels weird about talking about it is uh, it was scary. It was very gruesome. It was very, um, it was very sad, very sad. Like, I mean, just so heavy, right? And at the same time, I felt kind of alive. I was like part of something real. I was like really helping these people. It Talk about presence too, yeah. right? Like you're not thinking about, oh, <laughs> you know, my job or, you yeah. know. Like, There's nothing else yeah. in that moment. It's just like- How much the, money yeah. do I have in the bank again? <laughs> yeah. Right? You're just like uber, uber present. So you go into a period after that of you know, maybe, uh, and you didn't say this, but I'll just suggest it. Maybe as part of your coping mechanism, it was just like focus on something else. And you, I think that was. Yeah. You know, you got into yeah. the I'm going to make something out of my life and be successful. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot. It's funny because a lot of really successful people, I think, are that way because they're running from something. Right? They there's things they don't want to think about or feel, and so at least with that, there's generally a positive outcome (laughs) versus like becoming an alcoholic or something, right? right? Where you, you know, you go through something and you're running, but the means by which you're running happen to actually have deleterious effects on your life. But you can also be running and building something too. Yeah. You know, I think so long as you're building or creating something that yeah. Has some some amount of positive effects to it. Then, Well, what a beautiful segue, Angelo. (laughs) Because you now have built something. You've probably built things before. We're going to skip to the chase. <laughs> um, so I found your company, Keon, uh, I guess through just our mutual friend and your business partner, Ben Greenfield, talking about, oh, I'm, you know, I started a supplement company. And he started talking about it and I got some of the products. And I was like, cool. All the ingredients, check out. It's clean. It's legit, as I would assume from Ben, because he's you know pretty knowledgeable and discerning. Um, and now you're doing the thing. So I guess the first question is, how did you end up hooking up with Ben? You have someone that's, you know, got a vast body of knowledge, a big audience, didn't at that time, to my knowledge, like have a flagship brand or product that was his own to promote. And I find that fascinating because I've been doing what I'm doing for six and a half years now. And I don't really have a thing, you know, I just find cool things like that people like you are doing. I go, Hey, this is cool. I found this, buy this thing if you want, you know, I like it. And that's kind of my my thing, but uh, what was it like to meet him? How'd you meet him? How'd you guys actually say, hey, let's let's create something that hasn't existed? So I think it really is kind of like the story of like initially two individuals, right? That are in kind of two separate paths. So I think relating to you and to like Ben's path, I think he started back in like 2008, I want to say, doing podcasting. He's like OG yeah. podcaster. And, um, you know, I think his journey basically was yeah, he was interviewing you know, a lot of other people and telling the stories of other people's brands and he wanted to be more part of something. You know, he wanted to be more part of a brand that he could, um, that could be his, you know, which I think is a very normal um, desire and development of someone who's on that journey. 
And I think my path was more, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting going back to like my parents. I joke about it because people often ask me like, well, how did you start this or why? You know, it's like amino acids were like the first, I mean, it's one of the most important supplements I remember my mom giving to me and her telling me like, Angie, can't you feel it? Like, it's so amazing. And so from like the earliest age, there were, like if I was gonna, if, if my life is my dream and I was gonna dream up what would be like the perfect company that would like make three-year-old Angie's mom happy, it would be like an amino acid company. Right. So, <laughs> do, your parents, and, and, do your parents like your aminos? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's but good. it's like, am, you know, uh, I don't know, how conscious am I? Or am I just kind of, you know, playing out the, the dream of my life to some degree or what the intergenerational part of my life is? Uh, but yeah, so I mean, this supplements and the supplements that we make and coffee and kind of the ethos of what we do was something that I was raised in that was highly important to me, that remained really important to me, that then became this more highly emphasized part of my life uh, after 16. Um, I did pursue a lot of different things in career. I did a lot of different things in health. Um, and around the end of 2016, I got introduced to Ben through a mutual friend advisor kind of group. We were like, oh, you guys should meet. Um, Ben kind of wants to do this thing. And maybe you guys are like, you guys are a good fit. And um, we met and it was, we were just very compatible. I think, I, I think that's it's kind of the simplest story of like um, our, of our dynamic. How many years have you guys been working together now? Uh, we met the very end of 2016. Oh, okay. So quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good because as I'm sure you know, uh, partnerships often seem like a great idea in their inception. <laughs> they are pretty prone to going south. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of partnerships don't work out. My dad, who's a, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better term, self-made man, entrepreneur kind of guy. And my whole life, anytime I was like, hey, I met this person, we're going to do this thing. He's like, never get partners. <laughs> He's fully anti-partner. Do your thing or don't do it, you know? And I've had partners and it's worked out for a period and sometimes it hasn't, you know? But that's that's a pretty good track record for you guys. What have been, uh, what is it, you know, what does it involve in terms of, okay, so we're going to make our first product. It's Aminos or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Uh, you know, do you find a formulator, like what, what's the first step in actually like having an idea like, hey, there's this category that we're really into. It's benefited us. We're not satisfied with what's out there. We think we could do it better. You find someone to manufacture it. Like what, what goes into the initial stages of like actually bringing something to market? So I think this journey can be really different for different people. It's not like there's one way to do it. Um, I think... We another reason why I think we were compatible in that situation was that um, Ben Hat initially had a platform to, to start with, and so we were in a position. It wasn't the platform it is now. I think it was like thirty or forty thousand Facebook followers or something like that. Um, and uh, you know, I partnered in that as well. So it was like we're going to build up this. We're going to build up the Ben audience in that brand, and we're going to build this oh, cool. new Keon company. And so I think we were just really aligned on uh, working together in that way. And, um, you know, I think one big part of it is like you do, like sales are really important. You, you can have a really awesome idea for a product. You can go through all the manufacturing, you can do through all the operational things, but like you got to like sell the product. <laughs> you have to have people who want to buy it. Um, and, you know, I'm not endorsing this guy as the, uh, you know, like the ideal of a businessman, but you look at someone even like Nike and Phil Knight who built Nike. Um, he started by selling 
um, shoes out of, you know, these Japanese shoes out of his trunk of his car, like track meets. And that's how he started to get the cash, just then buy the next set of shoes, then buy the next set of shoes, and buy the next set of shoes. So I think the number one most important thing um, from pure business, so I'm not talking about like, uh, when you really get to what the heart of business is, it's like, who are you going to sell it to and how are you going to sell it to them? Are you going to, can you create enough value in their life and trust that they're going to buy it from you and they're going to want to come and buy it from you again? So I think that is the most important thing that you have to have to start with. Because if you don't have that, then you can have the coolest idea ever. You can, you, you can get everything made and you're just going to be sitting at home with all your stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, you start there. You start with like, who's the person? How am I helping this person? Why are they going to want to buy it? How am I going to get it in front of them so that they even would want to buy it? Um, and then I think the next step is, okay, well, then you really have to make a good product, right? You have to make a product that you're not just going to, that you're going to sell to them once and then never going to want something from you again. Like that's not building a business. That's like a con game of some kind, right? So you have to make sure you build a really good product. And to do that um, in the supplement space, it is about um, ultimately having the, having a good idea for what, what the science is behind it or what the formulation is. That's maybe a better way of saying it because it doesn't have to be evidence-based. You could have some type of really cool botanical that doesn't really have great studies behind it, but you've used it, you really like it, you believe it's going to work for people. Um, so having a really clear idea of like what it is that's going to work, um, that is going to work. And then, yeah, you, you basically work with contract manufacturers. So in the supplement space, very, very few brands, except for like some of the absolute largest, but even the largest work with um, manufacturing groups that will actually make it for you. So you have to set standards for them, say, this is what I want in it. This is where I want the ingredients from. This is what the specs have to hit. You basically describe in great detail exactly what you want. Um, if you're trying to make a really awesome product. Yeah. There are plenty of people that just go and be like, hey, I just need this thing to sell to this person. Can you make <laughs> oh, it feel well, like that? I'm well aware. Yeah. I go to health food stores sometimes. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, you know, vitamin C, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And first thing I do with anything is I'm like ingredients, right? And I'm looking for excipients, swag shit. Yeah. I mean, this, the garbage that they put in so many health supplements is astonishing. And it makes me feel bad. I mean, not only for the fact that you're probably not going to derive much benefit from it and you're going to be wasting your money. But there's often things in supplements that are actually really bad for you too, yeah. you know? So it's like the quality control piece is always uh, is tricky for me. And when somebody comes out with something and it, yeah, not that I'm the expert, but I know a bit about what's good to put in your body and what's not. And, uh, you know, sometimes I read this stuff and I'm just like, fail. You guys blew it. One, and I think it's because lots of times people don't know. They have some cool, like right. they want to be in the health business. They want, they want to like, there's a struggle where people are trying to make a living for themselves. They're trying to figure out what their next step is. They're trying to like expand. And I think it happens honestly to, and I'm not saying this is your situation, but people yeah. in your kind of seat where you have an audience. Well, I do have people that trust me because I'm checking out lots of products. I could offer something to them. And then if they don't know really how to make it or some other person's like, hey, I can help you make this thing or do it. They could just, you just don't That's know. A good point. You don't yeah. like it, it, the yeah. you know manufacturing a food product or supplement product is a complicated business. It's a complex supply chain. There's all these different partners. There's lots of quality testing and specs. It's not the thing you just kind of like just do. Yeah, you gotta yeah. like. It's, well, you gotta be really committed to it. That's one reason yeah. why I haven't done it. You know. Yeah. And plus, it's it's just like I don't know. I feel like there's nothing really missing from the market. 
right? Sometimes something new and novel will come out, like a product with spermidine or um, urolithin A, like things that have been kind of in the in the periphery of the molecular world, right? And there's some research behind them, but they're not readily available or readily known. Sometimes something like that comes out and I'm like, damn, I wish I would have discovered this because I could have grabbed onto it because I believe in, mm-hmm. in its effects, right? I take something like, oh, this is awesome. But for me, it's like, what am I going to do? Make another protein powder you know it's like there's already a good one you could sit right here well i think that's the case unless you're really passionate about that i think that's the thing you know and i think that's um i am passionate about that yeah like i'm passionate about making really awesome products yeah and like and doing that really well if i was more passionate about being a podcast host i would bust my butt to try to figure out how to do that, you know? And it's, yeah, totally. and at one point I thought like, oh, maybe I'll try to do a podcast. Everyone else is doing a podcast, you know? Yeah, who, and, who doesn't and, have a podcast yeah. at this point? And I don't deliberately yeah. because I'm like, I, I want to be great at this thing, yeah. you know? And I want to be really good at that. And you know yeah. what? There were a lot of other proteins and there were a lot of other aminos and there were other coffees. Like, you know, our top products are not the most novel, but we work really hard to make them awesome. Well, there's, to do it really well. there's something you talked about earlier in that, and not to minimize people to, you know, a lifetime value customer, right? But that, that's what they call it in the business. Mm-hmm. But you got to make things that work, right? Where people actually see benefit or they're going to be like the example you gave where they're like, oh, cool packaging. I heard this thing's awesome. And they buy it and you never hear from them again, right? So it has to work to me as a consumer, of someone who buys all kinds of crap like this, not to diminish, call it crap. It's a bad way to state it, but you know, my cabinets are just full of stuff. I did a video the other day about my top 10 supplements and it's like, we couldn't even fit them on the freaking kitchen Island. You know, there's stuff still in the pantry. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm that guy. But what gets me as the consumer is like when I'm out of something and I'm like, Oh man, I'm out. Like your sleep formula. I hit you guys up a couple weeks ago. I'm like, dude, I'm running low. I'm not even to the bottom of the bottle yet. And I'm like, I take this stuff every night because it works. I, I get my aura ring in the morning. And I'm like, Oh shit. I got more REM sleep last night, which is hard for me, harder mm-hmm. for deep sleep uh, incidentally. So, you know, I'm that customer that's like, no, I actually need this in my, in my day-to-day protocol. So I have no, really kind of no choice unless I couldn't afford it or something, obviously, but I, I have to order it because now it's become part of my regimen and I know when it's not there. And it's not novel necessarily. It's just like it does the thing I want it to do. And it's so, so like in that case, for making that product, that was a hint to send me some more. Yeah. Before, by the way, if you guys didn't catch yeah. that, he's the CEO. He has the power to make a call. Give me a crate of that shit. But right? I mean, yeah. you, you, you got to be seeing results to the point where you're like, oh, actually, not that you need anything, right? I mean, you need air and water and calories, but I mean, to optimize your life. To help and to like make yeah. your life to make your life better if you have that, you know, the means to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like in making that sleep product, it was very straightforward. It was, okay, we want to sleep better. <laughs> what will work to help us sleep better? And we just, we just, you know, we, we, we use third-party research groups to make sure that we actually will use a couple and they'll do a meta-analysis of all the research out there about every single ingredient. And then we have another one critique it. And then I just get in there and just, read it all and ask lots of questions and argue and think through all the things. And what, came, what it came down to was there were three ingredients that had by far the most clinically researched proof over the longest period of time that were all very safe, that um, were 
just very aligned with like the ethos of what our our product suite already was. And so none of them are the sexiest ingredients. They're tryptophan, which is like the most cliche common. It's like the turkey joke, right? You eat too much turkey, then you feel feel tired. Well, there's a reason why. At a gram of tryptophan, it's just been highly, highly studied. And it's very, very safe to support falling asleep, staying asleep, and getting more restful sleep. And then a form of pharmagaba, a form of GABA called pharmagaba, which is actually the only GABA that has all the research behind it. And then L-theanine, which also has the most amount of research. So rather than trying to, and all of these two are ingredients that don't, they're not like a, they're not like, um, they're not like a drug, I guess I would say. I mean, none of, no supplements are drugs, but they don't kind of like trick you into anything. It's basically supplying yourself with these core three amino acids right. that will support your body in naturally producing neurotransmitters that help you to fall asleep and stay asleep and sleep better. Right. So it was yeah. like, although I got to, I got to yeah. say, and I, I, uh-huh. I agree with that because I have a little bit of understanding of you know, tryptophan is eventually going to cascade down into melatonin, right? It's, so it actually, it's actually tryptophan to 5-HTP to serotonin to melatonin. Okay. But it's really the serotonin. Oh, okay. It's not, okay. I mean, it, it, oh, it is potentially the melatonin, but it's actually the serotonin that um, I think has the greatest impact. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's gold me. One of my not-so-secret weapons for relaxation and quality sleep at the end of a day is something called Organifi Gold. It's a powdered drink mix jam-packed with nine superfoods, and I use this stuff to make the most bomb golden lattes at night using just warm water or raw milk or some ghee or coconut oil. It takes about three minutes for me to make it, and it tastes like a delicious herbal tea. But it also packs a powerful punch when it comes to improving sleep without making me feel groggy the next morning, which is awesome. Here's what's in it. Turmeric, an ancient root that's been used for over 4,000 years to promote a healthy response to occasional aches and pains. It's also a potent antioxidant and antiviral to aid in boosting immunity. And we've got ginger. Ginger's been used for ages to assist the body's immune system. It also provides a little bite of flavor to this tea while at the same time assisting in soothing the body to support rest, digestion, and of course, stress. And then the reishi mushroom, man, you got to have that. It's known as the queen of mushrooms and has been used in China and Japan to support wellness for over 2,000 years. Then we've got lemon balm, which has been used to calm and relax the body for just as long across multiple cultures. And then lastly, Organifi threw in some turkey tail mushroom, which is also a potent antioxidant that helps soothe aches and pains. Best of all, Organifi Gold is certified organic and free of nasty toxins like glyphosate. Organifi does it right, no shortcuts ever. Do yourself a favor and grab some Organifi Gold right now by visiting Organifi.com. And that's Organifi with an I. And if you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you're going to save 15% off any item in the store. That's Organifi.com. What I've noticed, though, is if I take three of those sleep capsules, I get sleepy, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing. I don't wake up groggy. That's the key. Because there's a lot of stuff I could take in my supplement cabinet that that will knock me out. But I'll wake up feeling like goofy. You know what I mean? Like I used to make this, uh, some of my friends, if they ever hear this back in LA will remember this, but I used to make this nighttime sleep drink called, I just named it the knockout punch. Uh There's my product. God damn it. I just realized it. Knockout punch. There you go. But dude, I would put like a tablespoon of tryptophan. Uh I'd put GABA, magnesium, lemon balm, anything Uh I could find online, any herb, any supplement that made you tired and sleepy, I would put it in like way, way too much. 
And to the point, I actually gave it to a girlfriend uh, that I was dating at the time, and she took it the first night and um, had to pull over on her way home because she felt too so sleepy, not safe. You know, yeah. yeah. I think she might have been the one that named it the knockout punch. I forget, but um, <laughs> and it worked beautifully. I mean, you were just toast for nine hours, but then the next morning, you you feel like you lost, you know, some IQ points and just mm-hmm. can't function. So that's the tricky thing, I think, with with supplementing things for sleep is can you metabolize it in time to actually wake up feeling refreshed and not feeling like you just took sleep medication at seven in the morning. So well done. Thank you. And again, we just, we, we weren't trying to be the most, we weren't trying to be like the cool, hot, like most special cutting edge thing. It was like, what actually will work? Right. What will work right. and what's safe and what's been studied and what do I want to take every day and I will give to my family every day. Yeah. And if it's some really cool new thing, great. If it's tryptophan, if it's your basically your knockout punch from yeah. twenty years ago, I had like the bulk GABA though, not the pharma GABA you okay. guys use. It, it had that niacin flush kind of effect, uh-huh. you know, where you're like, "Whoa, I'm dizzy and turning red." Way too much GABA. Um, yeah, I think now my formula is I'll take the key on sleep and then some CBD, uh-huh. you know, some Ned CBD or this other brand Element. Those are the two that I that I like currently. Uh, on does another great brand. Give them a shout out. Um, so there's you know there's a couple good CBD brands. Most of it I've tried doesn't have any noticeable effect. And then magnesium, and that's that's good. Like and then if I'm really smoked, I'll take some um, like even a melatonin suppository uh-huh. or like a high dose oral melatonin if I need to reset my circadian rhythm or just break out. The I would big say that's guns. the time to use melatonin. Like I I, would re- yeah. I wouldn't recommend using it unless you're trying to reset your circadian. Clock. That's what I figured out. And especially don't eat take it like late at night because yeah. that's what it does. Then it'll make you think that you should get tired late at night. Dude, it's yeah. the worst. <laughs> yeah. I learned that with the suppositories, the mitozen suppositories. I think they're like 450 milligrams. They're like insane amount of melatonin. And um, when I first got them, I'd be like, oh, it's 10 o'clock. I'm getting ready for bed. And I would take it and then I'd be really tired the next morning. So yeah. I figured out if I wanted to do a hard reset like that, or just I need to guarantee no matter what a good night's sleep because there's a big day, I'll do it like right at dusk. Mm-hmm. And then I start to get super sleepy at nine. And then by the time, you know, I metabolize it the next morning, I'm fine. I think it's also good for inter- intercontinental travel. Whenever yeah. you're crossing many, many time zones and you really big need time. to reset, then big it makes time. sense. Yeah. Because it's yeah. not just sleep. When you reset your circadian clock, it's like all of your daily functions get kind of reset. Oh. So. Yeah, I, I just be cautious with yeah. it. Like reuse it when you really need it. I agree. I learned yeah. that. <laughs> I, but I'm the guy. I'm the guinea pig, right? Yeah. I try shit and then I tell the people to listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. Like, oh, don't do it the way I did it, you know. My method of supplementation, which I don't recommend, but I'm, I'm here to take one for the team, is like when you get something, <laughs> take four times the recommended dose, right? Uh-huh. To get the effect and then scale it back to what works. Uh-huh. But I think the smart, why do you do the four X to start? Because I'm just an idiot. Uh-huh. But I think the smart way to do it is you actually scale up until uh-huh. you hit your sweet spot. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really you know the most logical way to do it. But I, I think it's partially just my personality. I'm just extreme and mm-hmm. weird. But also, I just you know people send me all kinds of stuff, and I got to like get to an understanding of it and figure out if it works or not. Mm-hmm. And to do that, like I just go maximum and like, oh shit, okay, it does stuff. 
maybe it gave me, you know, the runs and that wasn't the desired effect or whatever side effect from doing it wrong. But then I know like, okay, word to the wise, you know, there's a reason why it has recommended dosages. And 12 uh, capsules of Keon sleep, you're going to feel pretty sleepy. Okay. If that's what know. you're doing, if you're taking four yeah, hours. I've taken quite a few. <laughs> okay. I think I'm, I'm three or four a okay. night right yeah. now, you know, yeah. I'm rationing because I'm low, as I said. Okay, at the we'll get you more. But I want to talk about aminos. Great. When I was thinking it. about this episode, I'm going through my, I had all these questions about amino acids because I've never covered it. And here we are, you know, one hour and five minutes into it. But I love your backstory too. And there's just so much, you know, juice in there that I wanted to share with people. But I've never done a show on aminos. And as I've, you know, added them to my regimen, the uh, the Keon aminos, of course, which are great, by the way. Um, now it's kind of like, oh my God, why wasn't I taking this the entire time? Because I've had them here and there and mm-hmm. just, ah, whatever, I didn't pay that much attention. But now that I'm starting to feel the effects and I'm starting to do more research and learn about them, it's like, oh, this needs to be, at least for me, I mean, everyone could do whatever, but this is part of the foundational, you know, daily 10 things kind of, right? Where it's, it's got to be there. So your mom's giving you, uh, <laughs> you know, these uh, amino essential amino acids when you're a kid, you know, 20 plus years later, you make this company. What are the essential amino acids? What do they do for you? Why do I feel awesome on them? So I'll start by just describing what protein is. Okay. And put it in the context of the other macronutrients. So there's a whole category of nutrients we call micronutrients. And we're thinking about like vitamins, et cetera. When we talk about the macronutrients, there are carbohydrates, fat, and proteins. And in our body, we're like, you know, 55 to 60% water. And the rest of our body that is solid mass, over half of it is made up of proteins. So I'm kind of blending two ideas. One is like the proteins that you eat and the other one is like literally your body is made up of proteins. The protein that you, that you are. The protein that you are, yes. Yeah. But the reason why I make that comparison is because when you consume uh, carbohydrates, you consume fat, their primary purpose is for you to convert them into uh, ATP energy. So an energy source that allows your body to actually like move, your brain to think, everything to function. The, the primary purpose of protein and the amino acids that make them up are to help you rebuild the proteins in your body. The way that the proteins in your body work is that they are constantly in a state of breaking down and then resynthesizing. But when they break down, they lose some of their constituent parts. And proteins fundamentally are amino acids. Proteins are just a string or a chain of amino acids tied together. And there's 20 of them that are typically in most of the proteins in your body and that are in like muscle, for example. So your body, while you can eat, you know, carbohydrates or fat, and that's going to help you like have energy to like to produce ATP to actually do things. Anything else in your body that's a protein cannot get, its needs met from just carbs and from fat. It has to come from amino acids, either in the form of a whole food protein or in the form of an amino acid supplement. So like what kind of things in your body are protein? Well, obviously your muscles, but all of your organs. When we talk about enzymes, enzymes are proteins. When we talk about our neurotransmitters, our neurotransmitters are uh, basically amino acids. Like most of our body, uh, most of the things that we talk about in our body are these things. They're basically proteins or individual amino acids. So you should definitely eat protein and amino acids because if you don't, you're going to have all kinds of issues with all these different functions in your body. 
Then the question becomes, well, like how much protein, which amino acids, why? Like how does it all kind of work? So this is where you get into the difference. Am I, are, are we no, following me still? This good? Okay. Yeah, it's great. Okay, great. So You're knocking out some of my other questions in one fell swoop. So okay, great. Um, yeah. I love this stuff that I, I love. I love talking about it. So um, proteins that you eat are composed of these 20 amino acids. But there's, there's one fundamental difference between these amino acids. Some are called essential and some are called non-essential. There's also like conditionally essential, meaning like sometimes they're essential, but we'll just keep it simple right now for essential and non-essential. The essential part means that your body cannot synthesize them. So you have to, you have to eat them um, in the form of some kind of food. Uh, on the other hand, the non-essential ones, if you eat the essential ones, it can actually create the non-essential ones in your liver. So you don't have to eat them. Now, that doesn't mean that you would, in, 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 normal, in whole food sources, there's nothing where it's like only the essential amino acids. So it's not like you would typically just be only eating the essential and then force your body to create all the non-essential ones. But the essential ones you really need to eat. And there's nine of them. Those are the nine essential amino acids and the 11 non-essential amino acids. Oftentimes, the discussions and arguments around plant-based diets or animal protein-based diets is around something being a complete protein. And a complete protein means that it has all the nine essential amino acids in sufficient amounts. Very few plant proteins have the nine essential amino acids in sufficient amounts to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, to actually support the development of the the new proteins in your body. Thus, you need to mix and match different plant proteins. Um, or there's like quinoa, soybeans, buckwheat. There are a few that are considered more complete and that on their own. <laughs> Brutal. My stomach hurts just thinking about those. <laughs> it's like, mm, rough. Well, um, so yeah. the, the, I mean, there's a lot of questions that come to mind and many that I, that I already have here, but something just occurred to me that wasn't in my notes. So yeah. I'm, uh, what am I? 51 right now, right? And so you're digestive enzymes, mm-hmm, uh, build mm-hmm. the enzymes in your mm-hmm. body that you would use to process protein and your HCL, all of this stuff starts to decline, you know, over 40, let's just say roughly from my understanding. So as you're talking about the aminos at first, I'm like, well, what if I just eat four steaks a day, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm good. Why would I ever just take exogenous amino acids on top mm-hmm. of that? And then it occurred to me that even if we're eating foods, like let's just say a steak that has a lot of these essential amino acids, um, as we age, are we indeed less able to assimilate and the amino acids from those foods? Yes. Okay. Yes, that is, uh, I think one of the one of the most important cases for someone choosing to supplement with with essential amino acids as a dietary supplement and not just through whole foods. Basically, okay. someone really starts at age forty, but at age fifty, it only accelerates the risk of sarcopenia, which is the loss of muscle mass. And that <laughs> this is, is pretty due- much the only reason I work out. By the way, <laughs> well, it's actually really interesting. No matter how hard I work out, I oh. never look that fit. You know, so I'm like, I'm definitely not doing it for that because it doesn't do. Are anything. you doing like cardio or resistance training? Uh, resistance training. Yeah, okay. I go to ARX yeah. once a week, and I cool. have my X3 bar here. Awesome. And then I, I, now that it's, well, it was cooling off now. It uh-huh. got hot, as you can tell right now, because we're both sweating balls here. Uh, but I have the Carol bike in the garage uh-huh. and the, uh, the uh, Live O2 yeah. uh, contrast mm-hmm. training thing. When it's not that hot, I get out there and I will do some pretty hardcore cardio. You yeah. know, it's like a hit training basically on a bike. Um, Which is great for heart health. 
Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not as important. It's not going to help with muscle, really. Yeah, but it's like, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I literally just don't want to be falling down when I get old and breaking bones in the shower and shit. You yeah. know, like, so yeah. I, I would say muscle, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yeah, I would yeah. say muscle is the most important asset that you want to take into old age. The most Word. important physical asset. And that's because it, it helps modulate metabolic health, um, your cardiovascular health, and the most obvious one, and it seems cliche, but it's, it's so true, is that when you get older, your ability to stay active is one of the most important like, uh, leading indicators of how well you will continue to do. And if you can't move around, you can't be active, you can't do things, your health just starts to decline it even more. And then right. if you get injured which is much more likely if you have less muscle, then your body goes to this whole stress response. You lose even more of your muscle, you become even weaker. So really the idea of kind of going into your older age already with lean muscle is, is one of the most important leading indicators of ultimate longevity in terms of health span, in terms yeah, of like yeah. being able to do stuff when you're old, not just like yeah, well, <laughs> this like meditating, you know, monk who's well, been that's, who's that's unlimited that's, autophagy. That's amazing because... <laughs> I don't, I'm not really hung up on how long I live. Like people might think from the lifestyle that I live, which yeah. is to some people pretty extreme. To me, it's extreme to not do the stuff I do. But yeah. um, that's just me. But it's not like, you know, Dave Astor is like, oh, I want to live to 180. Like I don't, not that concerned with how long I'm here, but I want to be able to do stuff. Yeah, like live as, well. As long as I'm here. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't want to be the little man crossing the crosswalk with the hunchback and, can't move like no if if i'm you know gifted and likewise encumbered by the physical body like i want it to work as well as possible for as long as i'm meant to be here and yeah when my expiration date's up then bye you know i'll move on but man there's so much suffering in aging i just observe older people and there are very few of them that look vital and like they're having a good time in their body and when you look at it, when you look at them, you're like, oh, they look like they're having a good time. It's because they're active. Right. Like they're like, right. they're walking or wow, this guy's like running or he's, you know, picking up his grandchild or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, they, they, they're physically vibrant. And that is that they have energy and they have muscular strength. Mm -hmm. And they ha also likely have some type of cardiovascular health, right? They're yeah. not like scared of going upstairs. You know, in, pre <laughs> in preparation for this interview today, uh, something occurred to me. I was outside with, uh, with Marius, the guy who helps me keep the house in order here. And um, we were moving this patio furniture um, so I could move the ice bath over. And as I was lifting it up, I looked at this ledge and I was like, hmm, should I step up on the ledge with this thing in my hand? Probably not. And I thought, no, I think I can do it. And I did kind of a sketchy move where I could have gotten really hurt. Uh -huh. And it occurred to me because I've been, you know, at least putting some effort in two, three days a week to working out. I was able to do something that looked sketch and then I did it and I felt my glute like kick in. Uh -huh. I was like, oh, good job, glute. We did that shit, you know? And I went over the ledge with the thing and I was safe and everything was fine. And it occurred to me, that's the kind of shit when you get older. I mean, I'm not, you know, elderly, but I'm 51. Like, those are the kind of things I want to be able to do. Like, I don't want to, oh, hang not on. Not be afraid. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And like, it's, not, it's not really more than like two to three times a week of some resistance training that works for you, some type of like walking, light cardio that works, yeah. and amino acid nutrition. Yes. It doesn't have to be essential amino acids, but it really, Let's circle back. Yeah, I think, yeah, this, is, yeah, I think yeah. this is where it becomes really interesting. Yeah. And I think the aging uh, point is, is, is uh, such a good point in this. So going back to this plant protein versus animal protein, one point is like literally in the food itself, 
how much essential amino acid, how many essential amino acids are in it. Then another issue related to that is how digestible is the protein itself. So you could have something that has a more complete protein in it, but it's harder for your body to digest and extract those amino acids. And that creates another issue about why that protein may not be um, equal to another protein. So ideally, you're looking for a protein source where you can literally break it down into its constituent amino acids and that the profile of those amino acids are ideal for your body to be able to use. So in, in the kind of spectrum of whole food, animal proteins, uh, and those include though things like dairy and they include things like eggs, um, are superior. They Egg, say, eggs have the amino acids too? Yes, eggs. Oh, eggs, cool. eggs are probably eggs are like at the top of oh, of the pro of word. the protein scale, the amino acid That's scale. Sweet. Yeah, I have two raw eggs in my smoothie every morning. Yeah, eggs are an excellent source of of essential amino egg acids. Yolks, I want to clarify. Egg. I don't. I don't like the whites. Oh, really? Well, the whites are what have the protein oh, and the amino on. acids. You got to put the whites Shit, in, dude. Yeah, the yolks are they the just fat. Skeeve me fat. out. Yeah, yeah, the whites skeeve me out. Anyway, I oh, digress. Um, so, so yeah, so in in that, that's why animal proteins tend to be easier to eat, to get in your daily essential amino acids needs. That doesn't mean you can't do it with plants. You just have to eat a lot more. And thus, when you're eating a lot more, you're eating more calories, et cetera, and it's harder for your body to digest them. But you could support that with you know, supplementary digestive enzymes. There's ways to get more out yeah. of plants. And that um, we talked about a little bit before, not to go too down the vegan path, but that is one reason why they'll add di- lots of digestive enzymes to plant-based protein powders is because if you don't, you get pretty bad like stomach cramps and it can hurt. Bro, yeah, <laughs> I cannot do vegan protein, like plant-based proteins. Invariably, it just wrecks my gut. It's just, I just know. And I've tried to psych myself yeah. out. I'm like maybe it's in your mind because you think that it does. Yeah. You then speak it into reality, that kind of thing. And I'm like, no, it's just a fact. Like, and it's not everyone. Some people can. Yeah, uh, no. I yeah, mean, so it's like, smoothie, I too am one of those people. There's I, smoothie it's not my stands thing. all over the place, you yeah. know, and I look at the ingredients, rice protein. I'm like, ah. God, get some of this freaking whey protein. Yeah. Come on, you guys. But yeah, but I also am just, you know, that's my Achilles heel is, is always been my digestion. Well, I've had many Achilles heels, but that's one of the remaining ones I have to really fine tune. Um, but yeah, I guess some people could could do that. Some people um, can. I mean, I won't go, digress too much into that. I'm not a sure, huge plant yeah. protein fan. Um, yeah. But kind of coming back then to the essential amino acid question, because yeah. I, I just compared plant proteins versus animal proteins and why animal proteins are potentially you know, a better source of these amino acids. They're easier to get the amino acids that you need. Yeah. Um, but one other really interesting point that is very well documented through research is that the essential amino acids not only are the amino acids that your body cannot synthesize and thus you must eat them, they're also the amino acids that stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So as I said earlier, your body, all the proteins in your body are constantly in a state of being broken down and then rebuilding. If you want to maintain your muscle, and especially if you want to build more muscle, and this doesn't mean like getting all bulky and ripped, it just means like having solid muscle mass in your and arms. And being able right? to lift the and patio furniture yeah, over the, the ledge. Furniture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you want to be in a situation in which you're stimulating more muscle protein synthesis than muscle protein breakdown is occurring in your body. And what's been proven is that the essential amino acids themselves are the component parts, the active component of protein that stimulates the muscle protein synthesis. So while in a whole food 
category or selection. You know, eating some type of lean meat is basically going to be, have the greatest, in, or eggs is going to have the greatest impact on new muscle protein synthesis for the least amount of calories and kind of probably the, the healthiest decision for, for many people. If you take essential amino acids as a younger adult, under 50, no offense, but under 50, younger adult, <laughs> it on. has gram for gram, no, man, you're, you're a young dude. It has three times the muscle protein synthesis as whole food protein. So one scoop of Keon Aminos, and it's not the only brand that does this, but it, the, I can go more into the formula behind why it is so important for this as well. One scoop, which has five grams, or if you take the capsule, seven capsules has five grams, is equivalent to 15 grams of whole food protein, 15 grams of something like a whey protein isolate. Wow. In terms of muscle protein synthesis, okay. rebuilding okay. new proteins. So if uh, I'm eating but, 15 but that's grams. But that's, that's if you're younger. As you get older, <laughs> not only is it more difficult for your body to break down whole food protein steak, yeah. your body also is less sensitive to the stimulation of the muscle protein synthesis. So it's not just the digestion, it's also like the way that your body responds to mTOR and being able to stimulate this new muscle growth. It becomes, it becomes basically less sensitive. So it actually gets, the, the impact of essential amino acids become greater on a multiplication scale than whole food protein as you age. It's not because the essential amino acids are becoming more powerful as you age, but as you age, protein works less and less and less well for you. So as you right. get older and older, it gets up to four times, five times the impact of a whole food protein. So as you age, taking essential amino acids as a dietary supplement are a great way to help hit your daily needs to maintain muscle, build new muscle in a much more efficient, effective way than a whole food protein. That's crazy though, the 15 to one ratio, you know, I'm thinking about eating 15 grams of steak, right? And I'm going to get... Or versus five grams of... Yeah, of aminos. Of aminos, right? yeah. <laughs> but get less benefit. Yeah. Ultimately, I yeah. mean, someone of my age at least. Yeah. And so one other nuanced point I'd make here though is that someone would say, yeah, but you don't have the not like... So here's another reason why too. So steak, only half of it is essential amino acids, 45%, and 55% is non-essential amino acids, which are still good. And steak has minerals and has fat and has other good things in it. So I'm not encouraging people to like stop eating real food, yeah, right? Yeah. But what we know is that our bodies do not need that amount of non-essential amino acids. So when we eat the steak, there's a large portion of the non-essential amino acids that we don't even use that instead get converted into glucose and into urea. They just simply don't get, we can't use them all. So if you eat whole foods and you supplement some with a, a, an essential amino acid supplement like this, what you can do is you kind of optimize the amount of the non-essential amino acids that you're getting from your whole food diet and not trying to eat that much more protein, which you can't actually like right. fully use all the non-essential amino that acids. That urea in it. piece is interesting because- uh a few months ago, and I, I hope to God he got over this phase, but my dad had talked to him, he goes, well, I went to the doctor, I'm having too much uric acid because he's just, not carnivore, but I mean, uh -huh. meat and potatoes yeah. guy, you know? And um, so he's having kidney problems. And so the doctor said, I got to go vegan. He's going to eat a vegan diet now. <laughs> dad, if you're listening, that was so cute. I didn't correct him. I'm going to correct him now on air. And you got to tell him about EAAs. Yeah, and yeah, but but he's you know he's crushing tons of steak because that's you uh -huh. know that's what feels good and tastes good or whatever. But 
that uric acid downstream when you're having to eat that much protein, especially at his age, which I think he just turned 79, right? To keep the muscle mass and to stay strong, mm -hmm. you're having to eat a lot of protein, but you're deriving less benefit from it and getting all that urea. Exactly. Ah. And so this, you know, we didn't formulate this product for this specific use case, but most of the research now coming out is actually around therapeutic uses of essential amino acids for elderly adults and specifically people with forms of kidney disease. Oh, no shit. Because what off, there used to be a myth that higher protein diets would create kidney disease. It's been completely disproven. I won't go through all the studies, but there's absolutely no sign of that. That said, if you have some form of kidney disease or early kidney issues, then consuming too much protein, what happens is, yeah, you simply can't use all the amino acids. And so your body has to process them out and it, it creates this extra uric acid. Wow. But if you consume the essential amino acids, it doesn't because you're not, here's the simplest way of describing it. Um, so you, with your dad, right? Like his muscle is being broken down all the time and then it's rebuilding. So there's actually some, in, in the final protein that makes up his muscle, it's not the, only the nine essential, it's all 20. It includes the 11 non-essential. And that's why you don't necessarily need to be eating so much of a whole food protein in the non-essential because when it breaks down in the, free, in the amino acid pool, there are those non-essential amino acids. And then when you introduce new essential amino acids, it reuses those to rebuild the muscle. And thus there's less of a load of creation of more ammonia and urea on your dad's kind of final byproduct. Dude, I just got a marketing idea for you. You could have the same aminos product, but just like have a geriatric version. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. For your parents' aminos. Your but parents. I'm going to send him some. He'll yeah, do, it's, yeah. I don't know. If I mean, he should check with his doctor to make sure, but yeah, I, I bet yeah. if he checks it out with his doctor, and I can send you a book. I'll send you a book and some research specifically on this so we can talk cool, about with his cool. doctor. But yeah. I think it's, uh, it's a way to not have to go vegan. Or vegan. Vegan. Uh, but maybe, yeah, not eat as much steak. Yeah, my concern is I'm just going, dude, what do you, you know, he's about my size. I'm like, what are you going to eat to get enough calories doing that? Like salads? Well, he can get know? enough calories. He can? Yeah, there's <laughs> just not enough protein, I guess. I think protein is really the thing. And yeah. so that, that is the risk. And that's kind of one of the weird negative feedback loops if you end up in that situation is um, you've got the sensitivity. So you shouldn't be eating the pro, you shouldn't be trying to eat as much protein, but then it's going to make you like you're older, right? You're 79 mm -hmm. years old. So you're going to start to waste away muscularly. Right. And then you're going to be that much more susceptible to other diseases and issues that yeah. arise. Hot damn. Yeah. But you can eat, I mean, you can eat beans and rice. And I mean, there are grains and legumes you can combine for to eat your protein needs. I don't know if he likes those or how his digestion will I was very, I'm very those. curious. I'm going to visit him in a couple of weeks. I'm going to watch him. What are you eating? Because my whole life, all he's eating is meat. Meat and potatoes. Yeah, a big hunter, you know, just the whole thing. One of the most powerful tools I've used over the past 25 years of self-healing is the practice of rituals and habits. If I can train myself to repeat something that's really effective, eventually it becomes automatic. So naturally, I'm always interested in using my ritual time wisely by stacking as many positive benefits as possible into the shortest window of time. This is why I love Higher Dose. First, they dropped their Epic Infrared Sauna Blanket, then the PEMF Infrared Mat, and other cool gear like a red light mask. Well, they just pulled off another genius move by launching three new products that are specifically designed to complement their tech gear. First, you got the detox drops. This potent blend of hyper clean ingredients binds to toxins, carrying them out of your body as you get hot and sweat. 
I like to add this stuff to my water before a workout or sauna session. Then after you've worked up sweat, it's super important to refuel, and that's where their hydration powder comes in. This electrolyte-rich formula supercharges your water with magnesium and a potent blend of B vitamins to replace all the hydration you lost in the sauna. And then last but certainly not least is higher doses chill chews that are magnesium gummies that balance the mind and relax the body. So you can use these to keep yourself calm during the day or even sleep better at night. So Higher Dose nailed it again, folks, by providing all the components needed for detox, healing, and recovery. Get yourself loaded up at higherdose.com today and use my exclusive promo code LUKE15 at checkout to save 15%. That's higherdose.com, D-O-S-E. And again, the code is LUKE15. All right, so... Where do I want to go with this? Um, you covered a lot of the questions I have. Thank you. And you're super no- I knew you were knowledgeable about this, but I'm like, dude, you really know your shit. This is fun. I'm learning a lot. Um, what about these uh these this like so these amino soy sauce? Uh, Remember, oh, I love you were this is me- like old school health yeah. food store, right? At the yeah. salad bar. They always have liquid aminos, brags uh-huh. or something, you yeah. know. And I always thought it just tasted a little funky, so I never really got on board with it. But what 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 are those aminos, for example, if you happen to know? So those are, they actually take soy and they break it down into its constituent parts into the individual amino acids. And that is really what it is. It's basically through an, it's like they use a certain kind of acid to break down the soybeans. Whereas with like soy sauce, they actually combine it with wheat and some other sugar to ferment it to get out kind of, to kind of develop the amino acids more through this fermentation process. Through the Braggs, it's like a, uh, they're breaking down the constituent parts. So they both come from soy and they actually both are full of amino acids. Oh, wow. Okay, so. Yeah, and what's interesting is actually amino acids themselves are the, oftentimes in many foods that you try, they are much of the bitter, sour, and umami flavors. Oh, okay. In foods. That's funny, because your uh, aminos taste like Kool-Aid. <laughs> they are not umami at all. Yeah. Well, it, it's a lot of work to try to... How did you get them to taste good? I want to know this because I've taken, um, you know, this essential amino acid powders and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like just white powders and I mean, just really, really hard to put in a smoothie or you just kind of got to put it in water and like, ugh, it'd be a real tough sell for most people unless yeah. they were, you know, they were very committed <laughs> and really understood how fundamental these are. How'd you guys make them taste good without putting a bunch of weird shit in there? Tons of iteration. It's really just tons of iteration and being willing to invest more in the flavor profiles. You know, I think, um, honestly, like people who do like artificial flavor type stuff and sucralose and all kinds of other gross things, like you can, you can also, you can cover stuff up pretty well. But if you're trying to do something that's very clean label and not use synthetics and solvents and the the gross stuff, Mm -hmm. it just takes willing to have a budget for what your flavor is going to cost right. and, did you guys and have iterating iteration? a lot. Did you have iterations early on that were super nasty tasting? Yeah. 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 Horrible. <laughs> I mean, anyone who's tried our aminos back in the day, they were not as good as they are now. All right. Yeah. All right. It's taken a lot of time to keep working on it. And um, in terms of the ingredients, uh, you guys use like a stevia extract and then there's diff- there's like a lime flavor and berry mm-hmm. flavors. Yeah. And you have natural flavors. And I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but... It's okay. I posted something. Uh, I posted an Organifi product that I love, Organifi Gold, a couple mm-hmm. of days ago on my Instagram because I make this really cool drink with raw milk. And I was like, this is awesome. And I, I 
took a snap of the ingredient deck, reishi mushrooms, turmeric, ginger, mm-hmm. all this great stuff. And then a few people DM me and were like, what about the natural flavors? And I was like, I don't, it's organic. It, you know, mm-hmm. it's USDA, 100% organic products. So whatever the natural flavors are, I had to assume are okay. Um, and I reached out to them and they explained it. And I was like, yeah, I was right. It's all, it's all fine. But the natural flavors to me is always a little bit of a red flag because I, I read one of Michael Pollan's books years ago mm-hmm. where he went to these like chemical factories in New Jersey and found out that, you know, quotes, natural flavors are these really gnarly chemicals. And they're basically, you know, they, the food and supplement industry has lobbied to be able to call things that are actually artificial flavors, natural flavors. And it's this kind of ambiguous subcategory of a micro ingredient that you see in a lot of stuff. Do you have any insight into that? Yeah. Okay. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about that. Cause people ask me and I'm like, I'm, you know, it's a cost to benefit ratio for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, even if the Organifi gold had like bad natural flavors, there's, you know, 99.9% of what's in there is really good for me. So I would personally take one for the team, even if, you know, there was like a caramel flavor or something that was less than awesome. I think I'm going to get more benefit than I am harm. So what, what's the deal with natural flavors and sweeteners and stuff like that? Yeah. So I'll say a couple things to start. Number one, I feel very confident and safe and healthy taking all of the different flavored products that we make. And I give them to my kids. And I was raised by very, very kooky health nut parents who, <laughs> right. who burned it into me to like read every label and ask every question and be a skeptic. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean anyone else should take them. I'm just saying that. And yeah. secondly, I also understand and respect people choosing not to want to take natural flavors. And for that reason, we offer a capsule form. And in the protein, we offer an unflavored protein. And to even source that protein that we make, I mean, I must have tasted 20 different proteins and looked through so many spec sheets to find a protein that was like awesome, totally unflavored. It doesn't need any flavoring, you know? And I, I can just drink that protein with water and I, I could, yeah. it tastes like milk almost. Yeah. Um, for people who want that and who they just don't even want to deal with any kind of cost benefit analysis, then um, you can choose that. I think the way you summed it up though is actually like, somewhat accurate. What I would say is that with natural flavors, there's a variation of what that can mean. Um, with natural flavors, it means it has to come from something natural originally. And they have, they have different like tinctures and essence and extracts and like different ways of basically getting the flavor out of the original fruit. Um, they also, there are ways of creating natural flavors that come from animal products. You can ask companies and then some will tell you, some won't tell you. I can tell you ours all come from plants. So our natural flavors actually come from not like beaver sperm. Beaver, yeah, or something. Yeah, beaver butt. <laughs> beaver butt's like the classic one. Yeah. yeah. Ours come from plants. Like they come from real plants. Okay. Um, but they don't necessarily have to. Also, there's different techniques that companies can use to try to get that flavor out. Like, as you can imagine, the uh, the less money that someone wants to spend on a flavor system, they're gonna use cheaper methods to get it out and likely, you know, chemicals and like solvents, solvents, like gross stuff, the stuff you're not going to like as much. And if you're willing to invest more in developing a higher quality natural flavor, it is that much closer to the original plant and it uses natural substances to, to get it. If something is organic or in some cases, if something is organic suitable, which doesn't actually get labeled then as organic, but uses processes that are, that are the same as what would get an organic label. Those are ways that you can achieve getting a natural flavor that tastes good and doesn't have a bunch of weird, gross stuff in it that you don't want. Ah, okay. So natural flavors is a pretty big bucket. 
Yeah. Um, and again, I can understand people being like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to participate in that bucket at all. Or yeah, I'll buy natural flavors like from Organifi, from Keon, from these brands that like I trust and I know and like that's my my stance on it. And that's also, where I, that's where I'm at on it. But I also have more insider information about. Yeah, you know, these, no, that's yeah. cool. I've I've always wondered about yeah. that because I remember reading that book and I was like, they're all bad. Don't ever touch them. But then again, like I'm also the guy. I, I'll admit I'm human. I'll be driving around. I'm like, you know, what would be awesome right now is some peanut M and M's. And I stopped. <laughs> at the, I've talked about this in my podcast a bunch of times. And I was like, don't do it and have this little inner battle. And it's like, you know what? Like, you only live once, man. Like, I can't be that perfect. Jeez. I mean, I'm doing so many things right. That's, that's what I mean. I Every feel like- once in a while, I just got to go, you know, whatever. It's, it's good enough. But I don't own a supplement company that, yeah. you know, has stringent guidelines in terms of that. But the natural flavors, um, I think the tricky one there and like natural, yeah, natural flavors, natural coloring, uh-huh. it's the ambiguity, you know? Yeah. Like if I had a supplement company, I think I would have a whole paragraph on the side of the bottle that's like, here's the deal with natural flavors. Here's how ours are extracted. There's no hexane, blah, you know, whatever. Like I would have a spiel for nuts like me that are very discerning and those few people that DM me on Instagram, like, here's your answer. You know, like when I hit up Organifi, they were like, yeah, we can explain it here. And, you know, it was something to the effect of what you just said. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm sold. Because I have a responsibility when I promote brands too. I don't want to promote things that could harm people, obviously. You know? I feel like that's the other really big point that you're, well, two, you made two really important points. One is around the perfectionism, which, uh, I have a much higher standard, I would say, for products that we're going to make and we're going to sell to a lot of other people, ensuring that it's something that I feel really comfortable giving to them. I do also some, I mean, like I eat out, eat out at restaurants sometimes. There's no way that I would buy that oil at my house. Like I'm so sensitive about oils, but it's like, man, like we just went camping and we stopped at this like, like a nice steakhouse, but I'm sure whatever they cook that hamburger, like, you know, but it's like, I... So I sometimes do that, but I wouldn't put that in one of our products. Yeah. Um, that said, this whole kind of push towards perfectionism that you, you need to be perfect, Luke. And like, well, Luke, why, why would you even like, you know, endorse this? Or do you know what's in that, et cetera? I mean, I do think you have a certain responsibility to like understand the products. If you're talking about them, know what's going on, et cetera. And it's like, I don't know, man, people trying to like find something wrong with every little thing you're going to do. I mean- and go back again. I respect people if they don't want to take natural flavors. I like 100% respect it. That's why we have products that don't have them in it. Yeah. And if it's not something you want to do, like there, there's another way to, yeah. to well, get that's, it. Yeah, that's smart is create options. Yeah. That just eliminates the issue. Sounds I was going to cool. say on the communication point though too is around marketing. We don't always do, there's a lot of things to do when you're running a business. We don't do the best job of articulating every last point about every little detail we do we honestly are more focused on trying to make really awesome products than communicate every little awesome thing that we do. Right. Because right. it's, it's also like hard. It's like to get that on a label and like I already went through last iteration of the label and it's got to go through regulatory and then <laughs> yeah. this. And then it's like, oh, I know. Well, now we made this improvement to the product and now we can say this new thing about it. It's like, it's hard to keep up with telling everyone all the time, all the awesome things you're like trying to do with the company. Yeah. And our focus more is like on trying to like, make the product awesome. And then if someone yeah. asks us, we have the information. We'll talk to you about it. We'll answer your question. Yeah. Well, now you, you don't have to answer it to whoever heard this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy that's going to ask the tough questions. Uh, what about getting, um, 
you know, enough of these essential amino acids. So we know it's problematic, especially for older people, to get mm-hmm. enough of it to retain that uh, protein synthesis and, and you know, um, um, lean muscle mass. What about stuff like bone broth or um, gelatin protein? Because mm-hmm. whenever I've all taken that, I'm like, oh, I'm getting tons of amino acids. Am I really? Or is it not as awesome as I think? So there's a little subtlety in the protein. I'm going to handle the gelatin and collagen first okay. because those are really closely related. Okay. Collagen and gelatin basically are the same thing. Gelatin is just hydrolyzed. It's basically like a cooked down version of the, what? Of really? the collagen. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And they come from... They come from the collagen of animals. So like bones, joints, hide, uh, same stuff that is collagen in our body. Right. <laughs> bones, joints. Horse uh, hooves. Skin. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which my mom used to like scare me when I was a kid around. Like I shouldn't eat jello because we were pescatarian. Like uh, it comes yeah. from, you know, horse hooves or whatever. Yeah. But um, it doesn't. You're not eating horse hooves if you eat gelatin, most likely. Yeah, I um, hope not. So gelatin and collagen are interesting in that they are not a traditional complete protein. So they will not give you the benefit of a steak or whey protein or um, even some like plant proteins that are like combined in a special way uh, or essential amino acids. They simply do not have all the essential amino acids at proper ratios. What they do have is a lot of glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, which are very cool, awesome, non-essential amino acids that specifically support joints, skin, hair, nails. So if you really want to support support your joints, hair, skin, nails, the idea of kind of mega dosing with this other animal's collagen to support that, it makes like generally like logical sense. Okay. It wouldn't necessarily be true though. I always want to like mm-hmm. challenge that. Like people think, oh, if I take like this other animals' collagen is going to make my collagen better. But in human studies, they have shown that it does. Cool. So consuming higher amounts of those will support with skin, hair. And that would be true of bone broth too, which has collagen. It, it so, has the collagen and gelatin in there. So this is, a, this is a more thing. nuanced thing about, about, bro, about bone broth. If you're really just cooking the bones, like if all the meat's been scraped off mm-hmm. and you're just cooking down the bones and extracting that, it is going to function a lot like gelatin or collagen. Okay. If they leave meat on the actual bone and they're cooking that down, so there's actual beef muscle protein that's included in the final product, then it's going to have some amount of essential amino acids. Oh, okay. But generally, it's not going to have that much. Like I think even in like very popular products like that where they do that, maybe like 30% is a beef protein. So still what you're really, if you're eating bone broth or collagen or gelatin, just think I'm supporting my joints, my hair, my skin, my nails. Got it. Okay, cool. I'm not supporting like overall muscle protein synthesis. All right, I'm going to give you my morning smoothie and you critique it, okay? Okay. Actually, you probably won't because there's two key on products in it. <laughs> but am I, because I just, I'm not hungry in the morning, but I yeah. feel much better if I eat a, a lot of protein and fat right away. Yeah. Uh, I used to drink like buttered coffee and go half the day and just be full of cortisol and I was mm-hmm. psycho. I didn't know it at the time. I was like, this is awesome. I don't have to eat anymore. I was mm-hmm. like kind of a borderline <laughs> eating disorder. My morning smoothies, two uh, pastured egg yolks, uh-huh. two huge-ass scoops of this Keon uh, whey protein, uh-huh. one scoop of the Keon aminos, two scoops of the Newtopia collagenous, like mushroom collagen mm-hmm. uh, protein powder, a little bit of MCT oil, and... 
Oh, and a big scoop of collagen protein. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, and your creatine. Okay. Did I bring that up here? Yeah, I have yeah. the creatine right here. And and one scoop of the creatine. And I feel freaking amazing on that. Am I missing anything in that? Or is that like... That's a lot. I think, <laughs> I, think I mean... Or from, is it overkill? That's what I would say. From an amino acid consumption kind of goal, yeah. I think it's great. It might be overkill. Okay. And here's how it might be overkill. But, but first of all, I would say is the most important thing, Luke, is that you feel great. So if you feel great, man, just ignore everything I'm about to say to you because okay. it doesn't matter, dude. It's like none of this is like… There's nothing you're doing that's bad. Okay, that's okay? good. So ideally, if you want to feel great, the amount of uh, protein that you should eat on a daily basis or if you kind of backed into it some amount of amino acids at a 3x or a 4x potential based on your age um, would be one gram of protein per pound of body, per, per ideal body weight. See, this always loses me because there's math involved. <laughs> like, so let's just say- I'll Google like, how much protein should I eat? And then it's like, per kilogram of body, I'm like lost. We'll, we'll just, I'm let's, just, let's just make it simple. I'm, 100, like, I'm 185 pounds, I think. Okay. And do you like that weight? Um, I would wish 10 of it was not around my um, Great. So spare let's, tire. Let's, let's call it 175. Okay. Okay. So, you, so that's your ideal weight is 175. Ideally, you would eat, no kilograms, it's just pounds, 175 grams of protein a day. Oh, that sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot. How much but, is in, but you're, you're eating a lot right how here. How much is in two scoops of the key? 40. So you're eating a lot. I'm, 40, I'm getting 80 already. 40 plus if you do that and you count like one scoop of that is like 15, you're at like 55 plus the collagen's not complete, but like, and the egg, well, egg yolks, that's just fat. I mean, you're, you're getting a lot. But so wait, let me finish. Okay. Because I think this okay, is going to be helpful. Is, this is great. And so, I'm not trying to be selfish here. Hopefully this will benefit I someone, think this is very, someone listening who is trying to figure this out too. Yeah, I think this is very super practical, very useful information for literally everyone. Whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or you're athletic or you're not. All I would say is like, if you're older, your amino acid needs are even higher. And if you're highly active, your amino acid needs are higher because you're encouraging more muscle protein breakdown when you like do tons of physical activity. Okay. But let's just say overall, everyone should be aiming for, well, sorry, last thing I'd say too is if you're trying to lose weight, increasing your protein intake short term is also even better. So I would go even higher than this. But let's just say everyone generally aim for one gram of protein or the equivalent of one gram of protein in terms of muscle protein synthesis per pound of ideal body weight. So 175 okay. grams is what you want to eat every day. Okay. Then ideally, you would break that up into five or six meals. Ah. And the, the reason for that, but it, you don't have to, man. And this is what I'm saying. It's like, don't get perfect. Like you don't have to is at some point, your body can't use all the amino acids right at that moment to stimulate new muscle protein synthesis. And so then what it does is it ends up converting it into glucose for you to use for energy as ATP and urea. Now, if you're healthy, you don't have to, like, you don't have to worry about any of this. And if you like eating protein more than you like eating carbs or fat, it's a totally fine choice in terms of what you use for calories during the day to fuel your body. But if you divide that by five or by six times, then that's kind of the optimal amount of, of amino acids and protein you would eat at a time to stimulate muscle protein synthesis that then lasts three hours. That is why bodybuilders 
eat little things of chicken or tuna fish. Oh, I always wondered about every that. three hours, and they even wake up in the middle of the night. And the they meal do prep, it. the meal prep. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. had gym rep buddies, and they're like, yeah. "Got to get my protein in. I'm doing meal prep." And yeah, and they're carrying around little Tupperware <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never looked into it. I was just like, "That looks hard." Yeah. So the reason for that is because basically the muscle protein synthesis spike lasts three hours. So when you consume the protein or the amino acids, it, it lasts for three hours. But there's only so much you can really use at one time for that. So optimally, you would break that up into five or six times throughout the day. If that doesn't work for you and it's four, fine. If it's three, fine. Like don't, don't overthink it. So what I just note in that is if I, this is not going to test my math, but if we divide 175 by five, that's uh, 35. Thank you. Um, you guys are impressive. Yeah, 35. So just alone. I couldn't even, by the way, I couldn't even do that with a pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> so this oh, you had your calculator. Okay, right. calculator, yeah. You cheated. So um, just two scoops of this gives you 40 grams of protein. So taking the essential amino acids at the same time, we're, I don't want to go too subtle, to, too subtle of science. Because of the profile of the amino acids, and because of your age, it is actually improving the utilization of the protein itself. But it's a little overkill. Instead, what I might do is another time during the day, three hours later, in, or in between meals, take one to two scoops or up to three scoops actually of Keon aminos. And then you will stimulate another muscle protein synthesis spike. Rad. I'm doing yeah. this. Yeah. So basically instead of, you know, have, th I think the easiest thing for most people who eat three meals a day is do three solid meals a day that have, you know, 30 to 50 grams of protein, depending on what your weight is. And then two more times a day, take essential amino acids. And with the... With or these, take a protein shake if you don't want to do essential amino acids. With these yeah. amino acids, I mean, uh -huh. you can just stir them in water, right? I think they're delicious in water. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're... I mean, we worked really hard to make them drinkable in water. Yeah. Uh, stirring doesn't always work well because they're not agglomerated, which is a whole nother supplement rabbit hole. We don't like... Yeah. Uh, nano them like break them out right. into smaller molecules right. if you shake them or put the if you shake them in a shaker with yeah. with water and with some ice they get perfectly dissolved but if you try to stir them with a stir spoon it's kind of hard i uh like this and this is my next question actually i i do the aminos with uh some of the organifi red like uh -huh. the beetroot powder uh -huh. stuff the yep. berries um, that's great as a pre-workout. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, because that's yeah. going to really increase your your nitric oxide. And I, yeah. sh I shake it up, uh -huh. and uh, and then right before I get on the AirX machine, I, I pound a hydro shot, just <laughs> like super <laughs> vasodilator kind of thing, nitric oxide yeah. boost situation. I mean, it's no joke how much harder I can work with uh -huh. those two things. Yeah. So that's that's my little routine. But yeah, I put it in a thermos and I shake it up and I kind of sip it on the way to the gym and then. When I'm there, I pound it right before I get on the machine and then during, you know, in between yeah. my sets and stuff. And that, that seems to work really well. But that was one of my questions. I just made that up, but that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, cool. that makes sense to, to combine an NO booster with essential amino acids. Okay, So cool. the NO booster basically is, yeah, it's opening your blood vessels. Yeah. And essential amino acids do that also to some degree, but the primary role of the essential amino acids before, during, and after your workout is that they are going to naturally support energy production at the site of the muscles themselves. They're also going to prevent muscle protein breakdown. Oh. So you won't get as sore. And thus, yeah. you won't, you'll have more stamina and more endurance. And they will stimulate muscle protein synthesis. They basically like two to three X, like 
the benefits of your exercise. That's rad. Yeah. So and you can that. take them before, during, and yeah. after. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned being sore because the. Do you know the ARX machines? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. They, these things. It's like an AI robot that's fighting you. I mean, yeah. it's just. There is no way you could lift that much free weight without hurting yourself. Just yeah. period. It's so cool. But unfortunately, they're like 60 grand. <laughs> so you can find ARX machines at different gyms and stuff. But anyway, I go over there because um, they let me sneak in there on Sunday mornings and work out with a couple of people. And when I used to go in, and maybe I'm just getting stronger and a little more fit from just going every Sunday, every Sunday. I'm pretty, pretty good at the compliance but when I would push that weight really hard, like the the leg press, for example, I would get all like ringing in my ears and like I kind of have to pop my ears and just feel super funky. And then even when I would be driving home, I'm like feeling like not great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it's like dangerous, but just working out that hard. But when I got on the routine of, of doing these aminos and the beads, the, all the things I said, I never get sore. And I never get that like ear ringing, weird, like your head's going to pop thing. Like I feel totally fine. And I'm not even that tired during it. You know, like my heart rate's not even that high. It's crazy. So in terms, but I'm doing more weight all the time. Like in terms of the recovery and, and the soreness, it is the essential amino acids. Oh, score, bro. Yeah. Nice and work. So, yeah. So like really hardcore athletes, like CrossFit athletes who are, you know, all different types of people use essential amino acids, but those really hardcore athletes, that is probably where they get the most benefit from it is because they're eating tons of like these hardcore, you know, bodybuilders and CrossFit right. people eating tons of protein. Uh, when they start using something like Keon Aminos, they ha- see incredible improvements in their recovery. Just uh, like way less yeah. source, way easier to get back to the gym the yeah. next time. Um, wow, that's yeah. cool. What's mm-hmm. the deal with these, um, speaking of gyms and like gym bros, remember back in the day, uh, guys that were trying to build muscle would be taking these um, branch chain amino uh-huh. acids. What's yeah. up with those? So branch chain like amino- GNC kind yeah. of style stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so this is an interesting story in like science evolving and us learning more and then supplement companies and marketing just continuing to like sell the stuff that's been disproven. Uh, so branch chain amino acids are actually three of the essential amino acids. So if you were to just take three, the, actually three of the most prevalent amino acids in this formula, but not include the other six. And the science behind this is that what they started to discover was, I mean, I've been simplifying it up until now that there's these nine essential amino acids yeah. and that's what stimulates muscle protein synthesis, et cetera. There's one primary essential amino acid called leucine, which is a branch chain amino acid. And then isoleucine and valine, which are the two other branch chain amino acids, which, and they're called branch just because it's the way that they're their uh, carbon skeleton is like designed the way that they're the way that their molecules are designed they have like this branch um they are the three that are extremely important in kicking off muscle protein synthesis and sustaining it but they literally do not work without the other six amino acids so they discovered in isolation in these little mechanistic studies or combining bcaas with other protein sources or in these really specific training environments that it would prevent muscle protein breakdown or stimulate muscle protein synthesis. But then over the last 20 years, 30 years, it's been shown over and over again that if you don't consume the other six at the same time, then there's absolutely no increase in muscle protein synthesis. But they just keep selling them, man. Well, that's, you know, I think that's the kind of the GNC stores. There's kind of just the basic stuff. Or even if you go to CVS or Rite Aid, uh-huh. right? And you go in the vitamin section, you see stuff like this yeah. where it's kind of like people that are just, oh, I heard that's good for you. 
Like, oh, I take that, but they're not geeks like us that are really going to get into the nuance of it. Maybe that's why this well, stuff. And is even still-, still, some brands, like very big brands, still market their product as. Be- these are brands like I wouldn't buy because they're full of artificial flavors and artificial sweeteners and just junkier products. But they'll actually market it as BCAAs, but then they include all the EAAs in it because the science oh. has been proven that it's... <laughs> That's funny. But it doesn't work without the other ones. That's funny. But like, there's still a narrative... Just because the BCAAs is like a, a catch... There's a narrative for Jim yeah, Rose yeah, that yeah. that's what you're supposed to take. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, for those listening, if you guys by this time, you're probably like, oh, I want to try these aminos. If you guys go to lukestory.com slash Keon... These guys have a, a nice landing page they've made for me. And uh, if you go there, you're going to automatically save up to 20%. LukeStory.com, Keon. Highly recommend, by the way. Not just because you're here. I'd be saying it even if you weren't here. If you were lucky enough to hear episode 389 with Dr. Chris Wrench, you'll understand how important mitochondria is to your energy levels and overall health. So I'm always looking for ways to upgrade my mitochondria and age as slowly as possible through supplements and biohacks. My latest obsession in this category is something called MitoPure, a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging and assists in mitophagy or the clearing out of old bogus mitochondria. It's the first product to offer a precise dose of a compound derived from pomegranate called urolithin A, which is a truly groundbreaking discovery. In fact, MitoPure is the result of over 10 years of research by scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. You can get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of MitoPure by using the berry powder, which I add to my smoothies, yogurt, and other drinks. And they also have a vanilla protein powder for muscle building and also soft gels for on-the-go convenience. This is a powerful and super easy way to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength. If that sounds like a good plan to you, here's what you do to get on a MitoPure subscription. Visit TimelineNutrition.com. And right now, as a special offer for you Lifestylist listeners, you can use the code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. Let me see. I've got some more stuff in here. In terms of the other proteins, I'm kind of going to digress a bit here just because there's one question and I wanted to see if you find this to be a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, hemp protein, when it comes to like plant-based proteins, has been one that I would say I tolerate more so. If I go mm-hmm. get a smoothie over here at Juice Land down the street, if it has rice protein, I have them sw- swap it out and I'm like, oh, it feels good. I digest it okay. But I've heard that there can be problems with heavy metal uh, contamination with hemp protein specifically. Is there any truth to that? Them sucking up metals out of the the soil and then being kind of contaminated? Yeah, I'm just going to bum you out though on like a way bigger level when talking about this. <laughs> oh, so right. uh, naturally occurring in the ground with many plants, there are heavy metals. And I said going to bum you out because like, Chocolate is the biggest case of this. Ah, come yeah. on. Chocolate is very high in heavy metals. I just learned, very high I just learned in c- like cacao is also really high in oxalates too. Uh, oh my yeah. God damn, come on. <laughs> so I would just say like any, you know, anything that grows in the, in the ground is likely going to be high in heavy metals. Um, 
Which honestly is also one of the reasons why I've kind of strayed from trying to make too many botanical-based products with Keon is because they're just, they're, t- they're more difficult to formulate. And if you want to include a bunch of stuff or like mix these really cool components, you're going to end up hitting like lead levels that are just not, I'm not stoked about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so if you take that idea and think, hey, even like a bar of chocolate, like there's bars of chocolate. Well, there's certain types of uh, legislation that or, or, or deals with companies where they don't have to label it, like certain chocolate companies, et cetera. But I think there's like certain chocolate in California, it's even labeled as Prop 65 because it's- Wow. Just because it's like a bar of chocolate. Like it, it does have this level of lead, you know? And wow. I know if you live in California, like tons of stuff has Prop 65 yeah, on yeah. it. Um, but then if you take that idea and you apply it to botanicals or to protein powders, if you want to have like a few grams of some type of botanical, it is just going to have a lot of heavy metals in it. If you then try to take rice or pea or hemp and you want to extract all the protein from it, you're basically concentrating this thing that typically has all these other things in it, carbohydrates, for example, you're, you're concentrating the heavy metals as well. Oh, so yes. Man. So when you take plant proteins, they're natural. They're just naturally going to be higher in these heavy metals. Now, I I kind of present all that though again to say I think, I think if people really research it, they'll realize that, again, this is true for like a lot anything that's highly concentrated and grows from the ground. I mean, not everything, but mm-hmm. I mean again, if you're eating like whole produce that grows from the ground. Well, you're getting all these other component parts in it and fiber, et cetera. And the metals would be diluted. Well, you're diluted yeah, in it. Yeah. But then if you boil down all these heads huh. of broccoli and all I want is this one little thing from the broccoli, you're naturally getting a lot of those heavy metals. I wonder if ayahuasca has a lot of metals. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of something that you boil down for a really, really long time. I mean, I wouldn't, you know. Buyer beware. Maybe that's, maybe that ayahuasca is really just a, a, a heavy metal yeah. allergic reaction. That's yeah, what people right, are going right, through. Yeah. Totally. All right. That's that's good information. Uh, then what about? Um, okay, so we ha- you guys have a whey protein, mm-hmm. and as you said, there's like you go to the store, there's a zillion whey proteins. Uh, are they all created equal? No. And why is whey protein a good protein versus you know you see like bone broth protein, and mm-hmm. we talked about collagen and gelatin protein and stuff like that. Why is whey that I guess comes from milk originally? Yeah, yeah whey comes from milk. Why is it, why is it awesome? So there's two main proteins that come from milk that are considered awesome. One's whey, one's casein, and whey has become more popular because it's more tolerable to more people. And even in like in studies where they where they show. Uh, how well muscle protein synthesis works over multiple periods throughout the day, whey is superior. Casein kind of has a longer burn. So like super biohacker bodybuilders were like take casein before they go to bed to stimulate a longer muscle Isn't protein synthesis. the thing synthesis that, spike. that many people are allergic to in, in dairy? Well, that's the thing too. It's like whey is more tolerable okay. by more people. Okay. So um, whey though basically has the most ideal essential amino acid profile and it's highly digestible across all different protein sources that exist in nature. So okay. that's why whey has become so popular because okay. it's literally just, if you want to get protein, it's like the highest, it's the, the most digestible, best profile of essential amino acids. Then within whey, there is whey concentrate, which is kind of like the least processed form, or you can get whey isolate. We we produced a whey isolate. And the difference of whey isolate is when I say process, it's basically just filtered more. It's a cold filtering process that removes the carbohydrates. 
So what you end up with is something with less of the carbohydrates and virtually lactose-free. Oh, wow. So if you have any type of like lactose allergy, most people can totally tolerate a whey protein isolate. They can't tolerate a whey protein concentrate. Ah, uh, okay. okay. So that's kind of the main difference between yeah. concentrate and isolate. Yeah. And then there's just like pure quality. You know, what's the quality of the, the cows and the milk that you are that you're getting it from. That's so a are, huge concern. Yeah. Like, is it grass-fed? Antibiotics. Is it organic corn? Is it like, you know, what, what's, right. what's the profile? So um, in creating this product, it really is just, a, it's, a, it's basically a, a project of sourcing. Okay. It's just deep, deep, deep dive sourcing on what is the highest quality, you know, grass-fed whey protein isolate that's available on the market. Okay. And that's what we did. Okay. So we just looked for that. We checked out everyone who could hit the specs. They're really only like a couple. Um, and then you taste them and you see which one's best. And then that's the one you go with. Then on the flavoring profile for, um, for different types of protein powders. So, well, there's one other thing. Sometimes people will add additional digestive enzymes into the protein. We're just trying to make the cleanest, simplest protein we could make. If you want to add additional digestive enzymes, you can do that. We don't think Oh, yeah. That- I do that in my morning smoothie. I know uh-huh. I was forgetting something. I'll put some bioptimizers, just empty capsules into the smoothie. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, for us, we were trying to make something cleaner and simpler, so we yeah, didn't. I think include, yours we, has like three ingredients, that, which I like. I like when I go to. That's a product what I wanted. Like, yeah. they're, the fewer ingredients, the better, because to me, it it speaks to the closer it is to an actual food. And that's exactly you know? what I wanted. Was yeah. like, I just want the simplest thing possible. So then, it has organic, natural flavors. Um, very simple ones: chocolate and ones vanilla. And then we added Himalayan Himalayan pink Himalayan salt, and that salt. Oh. Sorry, and the uh, the sweetener, mm-hmm. the stevia, the stevia sweetener. So yeah, it has basically protein, stevia, salt, and the natural flavor. What are some? And some people listening might find this question pedestrian, but maybe some uh, will benefit from it. What are some of the less awesome sweeteners that'll be used in protein powders and various? Health I think foods? It's, I think it's well. I think you mentioned sucralose earlier. Yeah, I think it's sucralose and um, aspartame. It's it's the artificial sweeteners that okay. you know I think are just disputed. What like how harmful they potentially are? And this is one of those things where it's like I was just raised thinking artificial sweeteners are bad. Like yeah. stay away from them. They're really terrible. You know, I think there's been really interesting recent studies that have come out um, comparing. There's a lot of review that I saw. Like Huberman just did a review of it. And this guy, Biolane, Biolane, he tends to be more um, evidence-based, like anti-alt health <laughs> type people. Alt, alt health? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alt, alt health, yeah. whatever it is. But it's interesting to get lots of different people's opinions on this. And, um, you know, it's like a, a, a recent study came out that compared all of these. And it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to see which one's worse, which one's not. I just try to stay away from anything artificial. Yeah. So I'm just like not inclined to do aspartame or sucralose or… I remember back in the late, late 90s, early 2000s, there were a couple of documentaries. I used to watch all these like freaky documentaries about all the bad things, fluoride mm-hmm. in the water and all this. And there were a couple that came out on aspartame and they were terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I was like, that's one thing I really, I mean, like I said, I'll eat some M&Ms here and there. Yeah. I like eat out at a shady restaurant once in a while. But aspartame is pretty non-negotiable. I mean, that's something that's like MSG, aspartame. There's certain things that are just, you know, really, really do my best to avoid without being too neurotic about it. But those are like, those are like red flag, red alert. Don't put it in your body. 
Neurotoxins. That's yeah. where I'm at. I'm yeah. just um, okay. Last thing I want to cover here, famous last words, because I always find more, <laughs> uh, is coffee. Yeah. So I remember, I, mm. was it the first thing you guys made? Uh, no, was it coffee? wasn't. Aminos oh, okay. was, was the Aminos first, was but co- the first. coffee was soon after. Because I remember Ben talking yeah. about, oh, we came up with this clean coffee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't drink coffee every day, but I enjoy it a lot when I do enjoy it. And, um, you know, there was all this noise a few years back about mold and coffee. You know, Dave Asprey comes out with this bulletproof mm-hmm. coffee. And I was like, oh, shit. No wonder if I go to Starbucks and drink a coffee, I'm psychotic for the next three hours. And then I got that coffee and was like, oh. I thought I was like sensitive to caffeine. Uh And then I surmised that maybe I'm just sensitive to the mycotoxins or essentially the excrement of of mold in coffee. So I've always looked for like mold-free coffee. But then you have this other, you know, these people that came out after that, they were like, oh, it's just a marketing scam. The mold doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. The mold is not a prevalent issue and yada, yada. So you have in the coffee world, aside from pesticides and just roasting Mm -hmm. and all the other things that make it taste good and be non-toxic, but- Maybe for people that aren't even aware of this or give us an update on where we are with like mold-free coffee. Because I know that when I heard about your coffee, that was a selling point. And I was I bought some. I was mm-hmm. like, cool. I trust Ben. He's a discerning guy, knows his shit. So I got it. And I was like, great. It's tested for mold. That's all I need to know. Well, and it's organic. Yeah. Those were the two criteria. So what's up with the mold and coffee issue right now? So I would say big picture, when we try to make our coffee, we're thinking overall how to just make the cleanest coffee we can make with the least amount of other weird stuff in it. And that is both pesticides and mold um, and any other types of toxins that could potentially be introduced during the process of production. Or yeah, I mean like growing it, harvesting and production of the coffee. In terms of mold, what I would say is that the critiques of people saying, hey, it's not as big a deal as, as people think. On one side, they're right. On one side, it's not like all the coffee, it's not like all the especially specially grade organic coffee is full of mold. It's, it's, not, it's not as big of a risk, I think, as, um, or as prevalent as maybe people tried to paint as a story in the past. Uh, I think if you're buying really cheap coffee, I mean, I can't, I'm not attacking Starbucks, I don't know, but I mean, they're buying a lot of coffee from a lot of different places in the world. They have a pretty intense business pressures. All, all huge coffee companies have pretty big business pressures to just like make sure there's coffee in the cups at every single airport in the world. So if they had to ensure that there was absolutely no mold ever in their coffee, I'm sure that would be just hard because they're selling a lot of coffee and they're mixing a lot of different coffee beans. So, um, you know, I don't know why when you drink Starbucks coffee, you didn't feel great. I don't like Starbucks coffee. I think it tastes gross. And, uh, and I also get kind of wigged out when I drink it, but I have no idea why that is. Um, but if I try to make a really clean coffee, there are ways to ensure that there's not going to be mold in it and to ensure that there's not going to be pesticides in it. What's really interesting is just because something is organic doesn't mean that there definitely will not be any pesticides in the final product. Oh, come on. Well, <laughs> so here, so here, <laughs> here's, especially with coffee, that's yeah. something I've, I mean, I eat things that are yeah. organic out of convenience sometimes. Yeah. With coffee, I'm like, I wouldn't buy coffee. Maybe you're grinding things. it up and soaking in a water. Yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't yeah. intentionally buy it unless yeah. I knew that it wasn't sprayed with pesticides. So I, uh, first thing I want to say is I think that most people are trying their best to like just do good. People aren't out there like trying to deceive people or um, hurt people. They really are trying to do their best. So I think the idea behind certifications and the people that run certification programs are thinking, hey, there's this consumer out there 
that wants this product. They want it to be verified. They want to be able to trust it. Do I just trust the individual companies? Or, or like, like how, how is this consumer able to decide whether or not they should trust that this product is actually is what they say it is? And thus they develop certifying bodies. And these certifying bodies then develop sets of rules and they evaluate products based on those rules. And that could be, for coffee, it could be organic, it could be fair trade, it could be Rainforest Certified Alliance. There's all these different ways that they can certify coffees. All it means, if a coffee ends up being certified, is that made it through the checklist. Now, that checklist, as you can imagine, is a system that's made up, and there's obviously going to be like holes in it sometimes. So one of the things that we discovered in us trying to make the cleanest coffee that we can possibly make is to test coffee at multiple stages of the supply chain. So the way that we get the highest quality coffee that we can make is by sourcing from very specific farms where we know that it's organic and it's specialty grade, which means they got the check marks. They're not using pesticides, right, et cetera, on, on their coffee. That said, these farms could be next to another farm that does use pesticides. And some of those pesticides potentially get onto their farm or they spray one time and there's one lot that gets it, et cetera. So that is a risk that could happen. So we test for that. We also ensure that we choose farms that use mechanical dryers. This is where one potential place that mold could come in. When you're picking a lot of beans and they're wet, you can lay them out on the actual, like, out on huge, like, tarps and they just dry in the sun. Or you can use these mechanical drying machines that actually put the beans in and that dry them automatically. If you dry the beans right away, you're going to reduce the risk of any mold developing on them. That doesn't mean that if you dry beans on the tarps that you're going to get mold, though. It just means that if you drive the mechanical dryer, there's going to be that much less of a chance. Okay. So we ensure we get an organic farm. We ensure they have a mechanical dryer. And then when we import the beans into the U.S., we test the green beans. We test the green beans to make sure that there's absolutely no pesticides in them and that there's no mold or other types of toxins on it. What we started to find when we were doing our own testing on some of these beans, and we won't accept them if they don't pass this, is that somehow organic beans had some trace of pesticides. And we're like, well, why have the trust? How, how is that possible? Well, one thing that can happen even outside of the farming situation is that they will take organic beans and put them in a, in a, a, like a large bag to put previous conventional green beans in. If I just put a bunch of conventional green beans in that bag that were raised with pesticides, there are traces of pesticides in that bag and then they get on the beans themselves. Ah, which you, it's not like yeah. the, it's not like the importer is like trying to mess up the organic beans. They just, right. they it's probably just, don't know. They probably don't care. They're yeah. just like someone wants to buy organic beans. They're packing them in the sacks, etc. So we test at that stage. And then also things that we found is when we would bring the beans into roasting, that sometimes if a machine had been cleaned with some type of chemical component, that could get off on the beans. So we also had to work through making sure that none of the machines were clean with any type of, you know, uh, chemical solvent, (laughs) which that's like pretty, you're getting pretty anal. You're getting pretty like annoying. So, (laughs) so all all your suppliers are like, (laughs) we don't want to work with them anymore. This is too hard. But honestly, we are by far the most annoying, the most like, you know, just, I think particular frustrating kind of partner. But at the same time, we're really cool. Like we're nice. We're not trying to give people a hard time. We know people aren't messing up. We're just like, no, we're not going to buy that. Like, we want to work with you. We want to get this done, but it has to hit these specs. So when you test on the green, when you, when you source from the right places, you do really good audits of wherever you're getting the coffee beans from, you test the green beans, and then you're testing on the actual batches of once coffee's been made, you can be really certain that something didn't just get an organic stamp on it, but that we actually tested every stage of the process. Brad. So um, 
All that to say, going back to your question about like, is the mold thing a real thing? Yes, mold is on some coffees. Is it as widespread as like huge marketing hype might like, like, might like to say that it is? Probably not. But if you want to be really certain that your coffee is as clean as it can possibly be, you probably just need to go with a brand that is doing multiple stages of testing and that they're actually committed to that. And if you have mold sensitivities, then it's probably that much more important. If you're just trying to eat clean, then maybe you can get coffee at your local coffee shop sometimes and you're, you know, and that, that's me. Like yeah. I always, I mean, I only drink Keon coffee, obviously, but I'm not afraid to drink a specialty grade organic coffee from a nice coffee shop. I'm not yeah. like terrified I'm going to Yeah, you know, I'm, get I'm sick. in the same boat. Yeah. And I definitely notice uh, that I tend to feel much better if I go to a little hipster coffee shop and drink whatever. I don't even see if it's organic. I'm just uh-huh. like, I want a latte. <laughs> But I don't tend to get those like jitters. And it's their mustache. Weird, yeah. Their mustache calms you down. Yeah, they yeah. have to have like the 1800s coal miner <laughs> mustache for sure. Um, but yeah, I notice, oh, I feel fine. I kind of track it. But if I'm in an airport and I'm like, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to get a Starbucks. It's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to feel like anxious. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for years I didn't drink coffee because I thought it was the caffeine. And I would tell people, oh, I'm sensitive to caffeine. Start getting mold-free coffee. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. It's not the coffee. It's the freaking mold. So thank you for that information. I learned a lot. Um, Next one on coffee is uh, I've heard people say in the periphery of the health space that if you pre-grind beans, because you guys sell whole Mm -hmm. beans, which is what I get, my key on coffee. Um, I think at one point you guys sent me a ground one and I saved it for the zombie apocalypse. Uh (laughs) I'll drink any coffee in the zombie apocalypse. But I, I saved it. But then I started hearing these murmurs of like, oh, it oxidizes. If you uh-huh. pre-grind coffee, then these are beans, right? And they have these oils in them. And those oils become rancid, essentially, mm-hmm. um, like any oils would if they were exposed and they became oxidized from the air and exposure like that. What's your take on ground versus whole beans? So again, this is like a cost-benefit analysis and kind of what, what you want, what works for you. I would definitely prefer whole bean because when you grind it, it does start to oxidize. And that destroys the flavor, and it also it becomes a more rancid product over time. That said, one of the key components of our of our coffee process is that when we when we finally put the roasted beans into a bag, we go through a process of nitrogen flushing, which basically removes the oxygen. That's why we can sell our coffee for a longer period of time. And when you open a bag of Keon coffee, it smells so good and dank. And it's like awesome coffee. I agree. Dank would be the operative dank, word. Dank is the word. <laughs> Whereas sometimes even if you buy coffee from a local coffee shop, it's like, it's like not as fresh. It's because it's been, if they didn't roast it in the last, basically whole beans freshly roasted will stay really good for like two weeks. After two weeks, they start to get kind of bad. If you nitrogen flush it, it extends it months. Oh, wow. If you grind, and so they will actually will start to oxidize even without grinding them. Like the, the beans will just start to get gross after like two weeks. Um, not gross, but I'm being very picky. Like yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. super picky about coffee. If you grind coffee, you've got about 24 hours. That said, some people don't have a grinder. And they don't want to grind coffee and they've always, they've always like just bought ground coffee, but they care about their health. They care about having something that's organic. They want to avoid other toxins in their coffee. And they, they just want, they don't want to have to grind it, you know? And so for them, I would happily create a pre-ground coffee. 
There's other things that have come up like, well, you make little curd cups where it's like in a plastic thing. And I'm like, hot water through in a plastic? plastic? I never <laughs> liked that either. Like, <laughs> Dude, even like coffee makers. Like that's uh-huh. why I don't have an espresso machine. Uh-huh. I've, it would take me too much research. Uh-huh. To find, and if anyone listening knows of an espresso machine, dude, even just cheap metals, you know, Uh aluminum little tubes and parts that are getting boiling water through them, those little Keurig cups, like putting boiling ass water through a bunch of plastic is just a bad idea. Like in hotels, the cheap coffee makers, they're like all Uh, made of plastic. plastic. (laughs) Yeah. With hot water. You know, again, like you got to live your life. It's whatever, but it's not optimal, you know, put it that way. And so for me, it's like ground coffee. I don't, I don't think it's harming anyone. I I think it's, I think it's an inferior cup of coffee. It's not as good and it's not as fresh, um, but I don't think it's like toxic for them. That said, like- hot water through plastic i just i like i can't and there's a lot of demand for it like a lot of you know clean well, coffee thank you, companies thank you for do not that. doing that <laughs> yeah. like your edge is like all right we'll we'll sell you some ground coffee it's you know it's not as good as whole beans but i'm not gonna make you a little plastic you know toxin bomb i got a question for you yeah. about that uh so I, I find it to be a pain in the ass to um, to grind my beans every time I want to have a coffee. So uh-huh. I, I bought this little, I can show it to you on the way out, but it's a little coffee grinder and you fill up the little tub uh-huh. and then you just hit the button and it gives you however yeah, many tablespoons. Yeah, like a nice little burr grinder. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's super convenient. Yeah. You know, you yeah. run it. But it has occurred to me, I'm like, hmm, when I fill that up, those beans sit in there for about a month before I get through them uh-huh. and then fill it back up again. Do you think my beans are like losing any They action? probably are. I mean, I might- Because it's not being nitrogen flushed in there. I mean, there's oxygen in there. Yeah, and some I, light I, might is just real, I might just like put enough in it for the week and then reseal it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Noted. Yeah. I yeah. think you'll, you'll notice a fresher coffee. Okay. Cool. Thank yeah. you for that. You know, with all this stuff, it's like- I'm always going for, with guests, I'm always going for the optimal, perfect way. And then you just, you create a spectrum and you just do the best you can. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no one is going to do any of this stuff perfect. And I know from personal experience, being too neurotic about all of it actually is not mentally healthy. It's it's like life's not fun (laughs) or joyful or happy, right? But I, I do like to create a benchmark you know, for listeners and for myself yeah. and get information like the real deal on shit. Okay, here's optimal. And then you have a scale, right? To like Folgers. Uh, what's that? Like <laughs> yeah. Folgers yeah. instant coffee would be like on the swaggest end of this, right? And Keon coffee, whole beans, get them right away. Keep them sealed. Grind just enough for your one cup, you know, yes. kind of thing. And use a French press, you know, that's what I do. So I for- use a nice Breville espresso maker. Yeah. I'm on the espresso Are those game. Good? Yeah. yeah, they're great. Okay. Do you I'll, think, I'll send you a link. Do yeah. you think they're all right with the heavy metals and stuff? I think they're okay. Because I am kind of paranoid about running hot water through yeah, these a bunch are all of cheap steel. Metals. It's like steel. It's not aluminum. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm, how much are they? A lot. <laughs> Seven, eight hundred bucks. Okay. But you do that. Worth, worth saving for. You do that and then you have a pretty awesome cup of coffee like whenever you want it. Well, that's the thing too. And I it's mean, freshly grind. You're going to go drop yeah. six yeah. bucks on a coffee at the coffee shop and gas and time if you like that's what i have to do if i want to and, and it's not as good a coffee i mean that's the thing it's like i right. i do i am that particular like i want keon quality yeah. coffee not just clean but that tastes good your coffee yeah. tastes freaking dope Thanks. okay cool excellent well listen man um i think we did the damn thing it was fun. I think we did it. We covered everything I wanted to. Thank you for your generosity of time. I don't know why, but sometimes it's like, even if someone has a brand they're talking about, yeah. like, you, maybe you guys will sell some Keon at lukestory.com slash Keon. 
And I'm, you know, I'm sure it's worth your time, but I always have so many questions. And when I'm making my manuscripts, I'm like, oh, this is kind of overkill, Luke. Like, who's going to sit there for two hours? But everyone does, you know? I, I like, when you were saying, like, the number of questions you have, I was like, wow, that's a lot of questions. I'm but, ambitious. But we really did it. I'm intensely curious. And, and also, I'm, when I'm prepping the manuscript for shows, I'm preemptively thinking of questions that I'll likely get from people when they're like, ah, oh, why didn't you ask them uh-huh. about this? Uh-huh. I'm like, ah, oh, you're right. That happened to me uh, yesterday. Someone sent me a message about something that I posted and they're like, what about this? And I'm like, oh, you're so right. <laughs> you know? So that would have made the interview two and a half hours instead of two. You know? So thank you for, for hanging in there with me and the audience today. I enjoyed it, man. Um, yeah, it's always good to see you're you too. Great. You're a great host and interviewer and so uh, real, dude. All right, I got, I got one last question right. for you. That's like yeah. another 10 minutes. No, this is, a, this is a quick one. Who have been three teachers or teachings as a whole that uh-huh. have influenced your life and your work? Hmm. My wife, Carrie. I think she, um, she has this really unique dynamic with me where she like believes in me, but like doesn't totally let me see how much she believes in me. <laughs> I like that. That's good. And That's it's good. and it's um yeah, I think just her faith in life and me and what's possible. Um it's just really taught me to just like be patient and to trust. Because I I, I guess that's the thing. When we first met, I was pretty wow, like wild and all over the place. And um her patience with me and faith in me, I think really um yeah, just taught me how to like settle down and how to be patient and to have not pop optimism, but like real optimism, like faith, you know, like belief that, that um, whatever is possible is possible. That's the best. I love it. And um, you know, what's coming up is Rainer Maria Rilke, hmm. famous German poet. He wrote this, uh, he wrote these letters. It's called Letters to a Young Poet. Um, it's funny. I think he was only like in his late twenties, but this kid he was writing, writing them to were like 20 and they're all about kind of managing through, managing through suffering, existential angst and, and your creative process. And it's just some of the most inspirational, like beautiful stuff that I've ever read. And I go back to it and it, it, um, it helps me anytime I'm like, it's hard. Anytime it's hard, it helps me. Um, there's this quote in that, that he says, uh, he's, t- he's in their real letters he wrote to this kid that then they got published. Uh, and this is like in 1900, but he talks about, you know, the, the pain that you're feeling is the future coming out of you. So many people think that the future is this thing outside of you coming towards you, but no, it's the future is this thing bursting out through your chest and your abdomen. And that's like what that, that pain is inside of you. Wow. And I just like, you can't, wow. <laughs> I love it, man. That's. I'm going to have to meditate on that. I like that. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you a copy of the book. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. And then a third one. I kind of, I'm trying to find, I want to find something like totally different. What's a good teacher? So, I mean, it's obviously sounds narcissistic, but I want to say myself. You know, I used to like pray. I guess, I think it was, I was praying that I would, um, that I could be the mentor for myself that I kept seeking outside from other people that I would have like, that would offer myself enough grace and like 
patience and kind of kindness and sweetness and like listen to me and just kind of like coach me through things that I kept fantasizing that someone else was going to be able to do for me and like help I me. I relate. <laughs> yeah. My guru chasing years, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm going to meet the enlightened master and they're just going to give it to me. Just <laughs> touch on the forehead. You're good. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I finally, like I'm finally giving myself enough, I don't know, just grace and kind of I love that. space to f- be me and figure it out. And Wow. I like that. That's good. Yeah. It's, it is a beautiful thing. I've began in the last few years to have that trusting relationship with myself, you know, because I needed a lot of mentors. I mean, I was lost at so many points in my life. Like I needed a lot of help or I would have been just a lost cause. <laughs> Maybe I still am in some ways, but you know, you're I mean, not, I, man. I, 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 no, I'm joking. I'm not. I'm not. But it's that being your own teacher and and build, for me, it's like building um, the habit of not trying to figure something out, but just going within for the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. I find myself just reading less spiritual books and listening to my spiritual audio books and all the things. Like I used to just be constantly digesting information. And then at, at some point I gradually started to have that experience of just like, huh, well, what do you think, Luke? What, what, what should you do here? Do you really need to call someone or can you find that answer somewhere? And it, it's a practice, you know, that hasn't come easy, but that's a, that's a really good one. No one's ever said that before. About almost 500 episodes in, I think. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Every time people surprise me though, but that was a good one. I like that. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's like Jesus, Buddha, Krishna. You know, I'm like, all right, come on. You know, or their parents, or I wife, like those or guys. something. You know, yeah. Good, yeah. That, hey, you know, not disparaging the greats, the avatars, or anything. But yeah, man, I, I think many of us have more answers inside than than we're willing to even acknowledge. You know, because it does require a certain degree of um, self love and a kind of an inverse humility, right? Where you can actually give yourself credit for who and mm. and where and what you are. Right, not diminish your own. I like that inverse humility. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really all one humility. But yeah, I, I for a long time I had this this perception of that of that spiritual principle that was about kind of staying small and not getting too big for your britches and not mm-hmm. being ostentatious and mm-hmm. conceited. Right, but it's also which I also think is good as 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 a phase in life. Yeah, I like mean, that, it, that is, and there yeah. is there's value in that. Like, yeah. don't take yourself too seriously. Like, yeah. stay humble. But the other side of humility that I find really more challenging to practice is to actually acknowledge my greatness mm-hmm. and my brilliance and my talents and my love and those things that make me. It's like um, I learned this in the in twelve steps. They they describe humility as uh, paraphrasing, but essentially an honest appraisal of who you are and what you're all about, mm-hmm. right? Which includes all of your magnificence mm-hmm. as well. And to downplay your magnificence and your intuition, your abilities, your intelligence, talents, all that, to downplay it is actually the other side of the ego. Oh, no, I'm not all that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do that a lot. I like, can't take a compliment. You know, I get embarrassed and something I'm working on is to just go, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking awesome. And there's still more work to do. There's still more evolution, you know, that's, that's showing me its charm. Oh, let's lean into growing even more. But man, it's good. It's good practice to look back and go, holy shit, look, look at the guy I used to be. I mean, for me, it's like astonishing that I even made it out of the Maya of my early life to sit here. So, man, thank you for that affirmation. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, being your own teacher. It's huge. My wife reminds me of that all the time. You know, like, 
you don't need to go out there for the answers. You have it. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I forget a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right, dude, we did it. Thank you so much, Angelo. Thanks, Luke. Angelo Keeley, folks. Luke Story, guys. That was it. Well, that brings episode 440 to a close, my friends. I, of course, as usual, want to thank you for listening and more importantly, for helping us get over the 10 million download threshold. I got to say, I never imagined that uh, these conversations would be listened to 10 million times when I started recording them back in 2016 in my little home office back in L.A. And it goes without saying that the success of this show would not be possible without your support. So I am immensely grateful that you keep joining us each and every week. And speaking of weeks, we've got an incredible show for you next week. It's number 441. It's called The Missing Links in Health. Myth busting, iron dysregulation, and copper deficiency with Morley Robbins. Now, I've been following Morley's work for years and uh, finally managed to track him down for an interview. And the myths that he busts on next week's show are truly mind-blowing, for real. This coming episode is going to help so many people gain clarity about two very misunderstood and important minerals, and that's copper and iron. So make sure to click follow or subscribe on your podcast player app right now. For real, just reach down and click right as you're hearing me speak. This way you won't miss next week's episode or any of the episodes to follow. And for those of you who want to check out some of Angelo's Keon products, I highly recommend them. I'm a huge fan and very much respect the integrity of their brand. Uh, Personally, I love their aminos, the protein powder, the sleep formula, and of course, the coffee. To get some of that stuff, you can visit lukestory.com slash Keon, and they're going to set you up with up to 40% off all their goodies. Uh, The discount, by the way, will be automatically applied, so you don't need a code for that. All right, that's it, my friends. I got to dip and get ready to prep some more episodes for you. I will see you next week with Morley Robbins. Morley Robbins.